We're up. We're live. Good morning, Ryan Evans. We Good had a morning. bit of a technical hitch this morning. We were in different studios wondering where the other one was, but we've done it. Apologies to anyone listening who thought 9.30 we'd be there. We weren't. We were figuring out what the hell to do with tech. And then, just before we came live, Ryan said, 13 years ago today, I was locked up in a prison in Vietnam. Thailand. Yeah, Thailand. Uh, Thailand. And I was like, hang on. Yeah. Let's just dive straight in there. So before we kind of go there, but just for anyone who's what it's going to be interesting. Um, it's Valentine's Day. I've just about managed to get a card out of my drawer for my husband after he gave me mine. And I went, shit. So it's kind of a big day. So I appreciate you being here on a, you know, on a, I was going to say sunny February. It's not. Uh, you yeah, are one of the really, It's really good for me that it's quite foggy and a bit drizzly because on these kind of days, I embrace being inside. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, this that. is true. This is true. So I was just saying to you before we came on that you are one of the three that has basically the reason this podcast keeps going because I've had a hell of a couple of months and was like, oh, I've got to let something go. And Sarah Thompson, the light of my life, went, no, no, it's fine. Just keep going. Ryan's coming. He's amazing. And then you told me that 13 years ago today you're in prison. So this is going to be a very interesting story, I feel. Yeah, and well, I, I wasn't sure what, what we were going to cover, really. So I think it was more a case of... Neither am I. Don't worry. It's fine. Yeah, so I don't know either. Two hours, what, you know, what we're going to talk about. And then, you know, it's, it's always a tricky week for me this week, to be honest. Like, my body remembers what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, my body sends me signals before my sort of... Um, my cognition. That's so true. before I actually remember, like, oh, okay, why why am I feeling off? This was like two weeks ago, um, and then slowly but surely things just slot into place. And you say about Valentine's Day, I just went up to the card factory in town. They've just been broken into, so they're shut. So my my husband, which is now my husband, he's never been my husband on a Valentine's Day before. <laughs> he hasn't got a card, so he might be watching this. I don't know, but oh, you have a card this afternoon, babe. But yeah, oh, so yeah, it's, it's it's a big time of year, really, for for lots of people. Mm. I yeah, it's, I think it's interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of people don't acknowledge that time of year when something's happened and that ongoing kind of visceral body memory and and like yeah. the fact that you've actually started with talking about that and like actually acknowledging that and going oh hang on I feel a bit off that connection to our bodies that so many of people are like body what body I don't have a body I just walk around and abuse it all the time and pretend it's not there yeah so, and it's interesting because Simon um we talked about this podcast doing this today and um yeah. one of the things he said to me before he went to work and he, he mentioned it a bit last night he was like babe self-care is this the right thing to do you know you're going to be uh, you know unpacking it and opening it and all of that stuff so I just want you to know really and any yeah. listeners out there like I'm really am okay like I, I've processed a lot of my trauma work I've written a book on it so you know there's nothing that I'm not afraid to talk about or places to go um and I kind of use that adversity to help other people um so if there's anything you can take from it that you can apply it to yourself, then, hey, it's, it's well worth doing that, you know? And that's kind of my motive, really, with a lot of what I do now as a PT and a, and a therapist. So, yeah, I, I sort of use the vulnerabilities and the, in the, and the more sort of, um, uh, it's like that analogy, you know, in China where they smash a bowl and then they put it back together and it's all oh. kind of lined. Yeah, so I, I like to sort of think about that a lot 
especially this time of year, because anniversaries are, um, they can be really impactful, um, certainly around grief as well. You know, mm. you just mentioned about um, losing your grandmother, was it? Yeah. yeah, she died on the Wednesday before Christmas. She was 99, so she had a freaking good innings. And interesting what you're saying on that, cognitively, I was like, she's had an amazing life. She was 99. It's all good. In the body, I was like, it's not okay. I'm mortified. I can't believe she's gone. Blah, blah. You know, even now saying it, I'm like, oh. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. you know, I really appreciate you having this conversation because I just, I think yeah. people don't talk about this stuff enough. And you say, you know, being 99, yeah, that's an amazing life. And my goodness, if we can all get to 99 and use your grandmother as inspiration, bring it on. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't change the fact that you probably just want to pick up the phone or go and have a cup of tea or, you know, it's, it's that kind of um, connection, isn't it, that, that we miss. So we're almost grieving our own kind of process of the next 20, 30, 40 years without her. So, yeah, mm. I, I, I never underestimate sort of anniversaries, death, bereavement um, and, and trauma as well. You know, that, that was a lot of my story. Um, mm. Yeah, so. So, yeah. do you want to rewatch? So, now I know you as your PT and your, you know, your handle is one to one motivation and you do coaching and all of that world, which is obviously we're going to get into like where that comes from. But rewind prior to that and everything that's happened. Give us a little kind of backstory of, you know, when did you leave school? Did you do uni? Oh, yeah. What were you up to? Like a kind of. Yeah. So, I. Um... I went to a Welsh school uh, in, in sort of my primary days. And then I experienced some pretty major bullying um, at the start of secondary school. So I changed to an English school. Um, that was a massive, massive change for an 11-year-old. Not, not just from having to change schools and new friends, new areas, all of that kind of stuff. But really the language um, of being taught in primarily in Welsh and then to be going to a school even though my parents don't speak Welsh but yeah. then going into a school and then being like right you're going to now learn everything in English and science and all of that kind of, you know and there was a, there was a whole um there was a whole mix of language that I'd never really heard of like as an 11 year old you don't tend to use the word multiplication or divide yeah. but if, if you've asked me what they were in Welsh I'd be like yeah I, I know what that is so, yeah, yeah there's a lot of shaming going on. Um, in, for me, I took on a lot of shame around not really understanding and then kind of went through secondary school and really got into sort of performing arts, um, mm. drama, uh, did a couple of um, summer camps of sort of youth theatres, that sort of stuff. And then I really fell in love with um, stage management, backstage, sort of mm. production management. So I went on to get a degree at the Royal Welsh College, Music and Drama. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, yeah, I worked pretty much as a freelance production manager straight off the bat. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was no sort of climbing through the, my career. Um, yeah. It was just right time, right place. And, you know, and I was pretty ballsy, like, when I left. I, I had a pretty big sort of persona and a, and a pretty big ego, to be honest. Like, I, mm -hmm. you know, I was ready to go on a number one tour, and that's exactly what I did. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and then over the years, I kind of did shows and productions and events. I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to travel the world. So mm -hmm. I lived in New Zealand, Australia. Um, I've also lived in Canada. 
Um, mm. Yes, yeah, so I kind of got, you know, these experiences that were just absolutely amazing to travel, to work, to do all of those things. And then when I was 28, I probably hit a big hurdle of self-development. Uh, I came out then as a, as a gay man, mm. um, having struggled with it, but not really knowing I was struggling with it. How that's quite late. Like, how long did you yeah. know and were dealing with that in silence without anyone? Did you told anybody until that point? No, I didn't actually. I, I was in full denial of of myself, to be okay. totally honest. Like, I mean, wow. even as a child and kind of going through that puberty and you know, sort of self discovery and all of that stuff. There was, you know, it was very much, you know, those early nineties was not a good time. If you if you were having those thoughts and feelings, you certainly weren't gonna share them, or I certainly wasn't gonna share them. And yeah. I sort of just washed it and really suppressed it. Um, then I had girlfriends and, you know, kind of um, experiences that I loved um, sexually mm. as well. So I, I wasn't, um, it wasn't like uh, that sort of physical connection was kind of holding me back or anything like that. Mm. Um, as time went on, um, I was in an amazing relationship um, for a good few years. That meant I got to travel the world with her. Um, yeah. But then it kind of got to a stage towards the end of that. Um, and it was coming to an end, um, mm. irrespective of my sexuality, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I hit a pretty low point and I didn't know why. So yeah. I, I, I seeked a bit of therapy and a bit of support. And that's really when I was like, right, I get to just do anything I want, to be anyone I want, live in any country I want to live in. And then, yeah, I really thought, right, let's discover who I really am. Wow. Now, you know. But, you know, I, I, I get fascinated. I talk about it in the book, actually, coming out. Um, and I get fascinated by people's inquisitive kind of nature around, well, did you know? You must have known, right? You're born gay. You know, it's not a choice. And... Yeah, it's not a choice, but it is fluid, you know, like that whole spectrum of sexuality. Yeah. For me, it's like, mm. yeah, there, there is no one way, mm. uh, which is amazing this day and age where people are talking about it more. There's, you know, it's all over um, social media, it's all over the press. Mm. And I think that's only a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because anything that's repressed is just, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's sexuality or anything. It's like at the point where you're like, I'm not allowed to be who I am. It's like, that's devastating, isn't it? And there's a whole- Yeah, it's when you realize that, I think. So so you might be living with it and it doesn't have an effect. But then when you start to think, oh, actually I want something else or, you know, I've got desires that I can't, you know, I can't fulfill or there's a, mm -hmm. there's a burning desire in me to go off and do this particular job with this company, but I can't quite get there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah it's huge. Huge. And um, are your parents still alive? Have you got siblings? Yeah, yeah mum and dad and two sisters. Mm -hmm. um, had a great upbringing. Like, that's one of the things. In fact, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago in um, amongst a cohort of um, therapists. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was very much... Somebody sort of said, you know, how how am I qualified to talk about trauma when I've had this perfect upbringing and you know I haven't experienced trauma as a child and I haven't done you know but then I'm going out to help other people and everybody's got their stories you know I think no matter what they are it's you know it's, it's it all starts from those early stages I'm, I'm very aware of that 
Um, mm. But it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, people um, like mine was bullying, you know, and, and one of the stories I talk about in the book is, you know, a close family member kind of calling me out at a wedding, you know, when I sort of went up to order a drink and, you know, he was behind the bar and he said, oh, wh wh what do you want, right? And I said, oh, I love a Diet Coke. And he said, well, it's too late for that, isn't it? And I was, you know, 12, you know, yeah. and it's like, ah, you know, and, you know, and I knew it was wrong. And I, and I felt that shame. It still hurts though, right? Wow. So, it felt like, fuck me, you know, I'm like, I'm 42 and I still, still remember that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I there's those little triggers and reminders, you know, when you yeah. go and buy a Diet Coke, it's like, yeah, I, I don't yeah. think about it every time I have a Diet Coke, but, you know, it's, oh. you know, it's the foundation. It's really powerful for you to share that. I remember sitting in a in a CODA meeting in London. So it's a 12-step Codependence Anonymous. And I remember sitting there going, I shouldn't be here. I don't have the stories that the people have, but, but my life's not working. Like, it's not functioning. This is 10 years ago. And, you know, I yeah. met up with my husband and my brother had died in a cycling accident. And my life is just a shit show. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, nothing's working. And a mm -hmm. coach at the time said, you know, go to codependence on it and start doing the work. And it is so powerful, I think, for people to hear, because we all, everyone knows what big trauma is. Everyone knows if you've had some major, you know, thing happen, it's like, that's going to hurt. And we don't, I think it's coming, but we don't talk enough about, it is the family member that says that about a Diet Coke and it freaking hurts. And what's, I think what's worse and what I came to understand on my journey is, it's worse because you don't realize it happened until you really unpick things. So you're kind of like looking back going, but my childhood was fine, but everything was okay. So why am I feeling like this? And it's almost, I'm not, you know, I'm not kind of saying that people with big trauma is easier for them. It's not that it's the, the actually the people with the small instances of like someone that you care about saying something that really hurt, it's very difficult to find and unpick. And I yeah. had a lot of that in my childhood, very similar Everything was fine from the outside, but actually there were comments like that. We moved every three or four years. So friendships got hard, bullied, but there was nothing really wrong. And yeah. it's people, I think the more people get that it's okay to actually have not had anything major happen and Absolutely. still struggle and figure out what that is, is so powerful. I mean, it changed my life of, you know, doing the work and, figuring yeah. out what it was and what it was that had happened to me that I'd made mean something that it just, you know, it wasn't there. So huge. Yeah. And I think that's really important what you said, you know, you've applied more meaning or we fill in the gaps, you know, and yeah. I think as life goes on and then something else happens and something else happens, even though there's no major event, like you said, yeah. it's that accumulation effect. And then suddenly that, for me, that's probably what suppressed me more, certainly with my sexuality, you know. If, mm. if you didn't get called gay 30 times in a day, it wasn't a normal day. Do you know what I mean? And it's like that, you know, and then I went into drama. And I, but I also played rugby, you know. So it was like, you know, I was kind of being pushed and pulled and all these little things. Like you said, you know, it's, it wasn't anything major when I was young. But actually, it was just all those little things that probably suppressed um suppress mm. the person I am now um yeah. but having said that would I change it probably not no. you know would I, if, if you said could I if if you could go back and come out when you were in university I went to drama college I mean it was very open openly accepted to be yeah. gay at uni 
Mm. Um, but that wasn't what I wanted. You know, it really wasn't what I wanted. And, you know, and I fell in love. Like, I really, really fell in love with this person. And, mm. and yeah, and I think, yeah, you know, this sex was great. All of that was great. So th there was nothing wrong. And it wasn't until the relationship was breaking down in other ways that yeah. I kind of realised, okay, well, there's this whole other part of me. I'm not opening that box. And then it was like, after things were done and, you know, I kind of was in that sort of grieving stage of breaking up. Mm. And then I was like, oh, I could feel that box lid. And I was like, oh, shall I, shan't I? So I came out to my dad before anyone. So wow. That's a biggie, right? Because a lot of people, yeah. the reason they don't is their parents and what their parents will think and all of that world. Like one of the hardest people yeah. to come out to often is parents. Yeah, and, and I'm hugely privileged, Alex, like, in terms yeah. of, like, my mum and dad. Like, my dad is my best friend, I mean, without a doubt, Definitely. and my mum. Like, what they've been through in in our lifetime as a family, a family of five growing mm. up, and then how they've embraced other family members, like my brother-in-law, you know, and it, it's kind of, yeah, it's amazing the courage and the kind of determination that my mum and dad have, and and I remember sitting on the edge of the bed. It was in our family home then. I can even, you know, in talk, talk about uh, feeling that sort of visceral reaction. I can kind of smell the bedroom and, and I can tell you what bed covers were on because it was such a significant moment for me. And, mm. uh, and yeah, I just went in the bedroom and, I, and I, was, I burst into tears and dad came in and he sat on the, on the bed and he said, well, you know, he said, you've broken up with your girlfriend. So it's, you can't still be crying over that, right? Like it's this... Mm. three four months on mm. and I said no 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 I'm fine I'm fine you know tears everywhere I'm thinking I'm mum's fine it's fine <laughs> mum's probably outside the door even though the door was shut with yeah. I reckon because she didn't even <laughs> scooby-doo what was going on and yeah and I just said to my dad and I kind of it was a little bit of panic as well because I was like I don't know what to do like I don't know what to do with it like and that might sound really um, naive for a 28-year-old who's been around the world, but I was like, I, I'm, I'm shitting myself here. Yeah, and yeah. Thought, what, what's wrong? And I said, Dad, I think I'm gay. And he said, that's okay. He said, why are you crying? <laughs> like, awesome. Shout out to Dad. Yeah. I was like, uh, okay. Um, well, I, I, and he said, have you got a boyfriend? I said, no. And he, he said... Have you been with a guy? I said, no. He said, have you had sex with a guy, right? And I was like, no, dad. And then he was like, so how do you know you're gay? And I was like, I don't know, he's having all these thoughts. I'm like, I'll fucking cope and it's horrible. Oh. And then, yeah, so he was amazing. So he went, he went off and uh, at the time we had the family computer upstairs. So he went off to look at where there was gay bars and where I could go and all of this yeah. kind of stuff. And then in the meantime, I went out to the conservatory to mum, and, and I write this in the book because it still makes me chuckle to this day. Um, you know, still floods of tears. And she said, right, sit by there, boy. She said, I'm going to put the kettle on. So she comes in with a cup of coffee for me and her. She goes, right, before you say anything, she said, if you've murdered someone, she said, there's going to be consequences. She said, I'll stand by you, but there will be consequences. I was like, mum, I've not murdered, like, do you even what fucking... Legend? I'm not anywhere. She goes, she goes, well, what is it? She said, because it can't be that bad. And I said, Mum, I think I'm gay. Oh, that's all right, boy. Elton John's gay. I was like, 
Fucking hell. Of all the people <laughs> in the world, man, you can pay me to help them job. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really, it's really, that kind of gives you a little picture of who my parents are, really. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, amazing. Yeah, so re really kind of privileged to have that response and that reaction. And, mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. And then wow. I just decided to move away. So I went to Spain to, to sort of really come out for myself. And, and I did a PT course. That's where I learned to be a personal trainer. Okay. Yeah, because there's something, isn't there, about when we're creating ourselves newly, being with everyone that know, knows us. They don't, no one ever really knows us, right? But there's like, we know who Ryan is. He's this. And then you're going, no, 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 I'm not. I'm this. It's much yeah. easier to go somewhere new and go, this is who I am. And everyone goes, okay, no problem. Because they have no, they have no basis. That's exactly, that's exactly what it was. And mm. I remember I went to Javier in Spain and um, there was, there was 20, there's about 20 of us. So we were on like a camp for best part of five, six months to learn to be a PT. So it was quite an in-depth course. Wow. Um, cool. yeah. and, and you sort of lived on campus. So you had the gym, you had the beach, you had all this stuff and, um, and you, were, you had bunk, you know, bunking in with like two, I think I had two other roommates. And um, yeah, it was amazing because I turned up on the first day, we did this whole sit in circle, introduce yourself, say why you want to be a personal trainer, blah, blah, blah. So it got to me and I remember I was near the end and I was thinking, oh shit, do I just make some bullshit up here about, you know, like, yeah, I want to be a PT, I want to work in a gym and help people and all this, which was a load of bollocks. <laughs> and it was like... So it got to me, it's like, I can't do it. Like, I can't, I'm not a good liar. Like, mm. I, I just, I don't see the point. So when they came to me, he said, so, right, you know, where are you from? So I said, right, I'm from Wales. Um, I said, you'll never tell by the accent. I said, but I'm from South Wales. And um, I said, I really don't want to be a personal trainer, but I'm a gay man. And that's it. that was the first thing that I said, I'm a gay man. Um, and I don't really want to be a PT. I'm just here for a bit you know, to, to learn the scope, because I'd lost eight stone of weight. So yeah. I should have reminded it back a bit. I'd lost eight stone. So I was like, I just want to learn more about the body and do something different. But I don't, you know, the thought of working in the gym, I was like, fuck that. And they all just laughed, because they were all like, <laughs> you know, they were all ripped. They were all kind of, you know, been in the gym all their life. And I was like, no, I, I definitely don't want to be like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I fitted in really well and we, we had a great crack and it was probably the best six months ever just sunshine you know training working with people just being who I wanted to be mm. and yeah having this persona that I'd sort of manifested in a very short amount of time mm. so, yeah it's really well it's, always there. It's, it's there isn't it so you're it's almost like you're uncovering it it's not like you're making something up you're going you're almost discovering everything that's there at the same time yeah. aren't you so it's kind of it, it yeah. I think sometimes change shocks people but it's like well it's all there so there's not it's not like you're every day going well what shall I do differently today you're just going oh oh okay cool let's go with it yeah and I think for me the biggest thing then was um when I graduated from is the Australian Institute of Fitness it was the mm -hmm. Spanish place and when I graduated, I absolutely fell in love with gym work at the time. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, yeah, I can be a personal trainer, actually. Like, and I, I've got this. And yeah, you know, okay, I probably don't feel comfortable in the gym, but fuck it, I'm going to give it a go. So I moved to London then and I worked in Cannons on Carnaby Street. Mm. Um, 
and just embraced them. And that for me was really my coming out days of, I, mm. I lived in Piccadilly Circus on the Trocadero and yeah, yeah went out a lot, partied a lot, saw lots of friends, joined a gay rugby team and really kind of integrated myself in a way that I wanted. You know, I kind of created that lifestyle that I wanted, which was just to have that lived experience, that shared experience with other men um, mm. who'd, you know, and the stories you hear about people's coming out, you know, everybody's got their coming out story as a gay person. And it's that kind of shared lived experience. Mm. Um, and some of them were horrific. I mean, I will say some of them were really sad. And it just really reinforced my awareness of what I had and the privilege I have and the family support and all of that stuff, really. So, mm. yeah. Yes, because there are very different stories where it's absolutely not okay by the people that are being told, and there's a whole world yeah. of yeah, it's but yeah, in it's... an already like tricky thing to navigate. There's like having you know your own family not being okay with it. That's huge for people. I mean, yeah. it's just definitely. And you know, I talk about some statistics in the book around um, sort of suicide linked to sort of uh, young gay men you know and it's it's really sad you know and um like now we're what we're 20 30 years on from that time and it's like it's so amazing to see so much open conversations you know there's so many facebook groups that are out there now for men you know lads and dads is an absolutely brilliant one mm. there's you know there's the man sheds there's all of that kind of stuff i mean i'm yeah. i'm a big champion of um let's get talking about it you know, yeah. we're just human at the end of the day. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, and that, and that's the, it's the silence and the shame and the hiding it that keeps it toxic, right? It's like, actually, yeah. if we're talking about it, it's just, it's yeah. just magic. So just rewind a little bit, because you just dropped in there that you just dropped eight stone of weight. No one just drops eight stone of weight. What happened? <laughs> Anyone listening who would like to drop eight stone of weight is going, hang on, that was a very sentence for a very big thing that happened. That's not yeah. that one compete. So, um so well, before going on a PT course as well. So Yeah, and, and I was helping people. Like I remember my sister training to get married and she wanted to lose some weight. And I wasn't in the country at the time, but I was like sending her loads of messages. And I was like, just do this, just do this. And it's like, you know, if only it was that easy. But she <laughs> did, she did sort of follow kind of the pattern that I did, and and she lost and she looks incredible and you know, super fit. Uh, had the most amazing wedding abroad as well. And and it was really that, that's what triggered me to kind of go, right, if I'm generally helping people and friends would say, how have you lost the weight, right? Because, and I'm thinking, well, if I can do it, you can fucking do it. Do you know what I mean? Like I battled with weight all my life. Um, but yeah, when I dropped eight stone, I was in a different country. So I was living in New Zealand at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I didn't have any pressure. I went from, production managing a number one UK tour two years after uni or within a year or so after uni. And I was like, if I don't go traveling now, I'm never going to do it. Like I love my job and I would work 18, 19 hours a day. Yeah. I, and it was my identity. Like it was becoming more and more of my identity. And one job was feeding into another. Yeah. So I made a brave decision and I was like, right, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to book the ticket. So um, and it was around about this time of year, and I remember being on tour, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to book that flight." And 
me and my girlfriend said, yeah, we're going to go for a year. Um, and then I said, well, actually, if we're going to go for a year, we might as well go for two years, which is let's do New Zealand and Australia because we're already over there, right? So it makes mm -hmm. sense. So that's, uh, that's exactly what we did. So I booked the flight for September the 11th. September the, yeah, no, sorry, the 10th, which would have meant we were in the air for the 11th or whatever it was. It was that time of year. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked on that tour right until then and just... I kind of used to eat my way through the job, really, um, you know, to be honest. Like, yeah, I weighed over 20 stone. I was kind of not healthy, um, you know, burning the candles everywhere. It was just kind of like it was a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And the only way I knew how to cope was to yeah. feed that kind of um, yeah. that sort of sense of self. So um, and when I was in New Zealand then, I was like, right. I'm going to try and lose weight. And I thought, we bought a van. So we lived at the back of a van for a while. Mm. And what I would do is every day I would get, and I always say the fact that I didn't have to work, I mean, I did work, but they were kind of like in a coffee shop or in a bar or whatever. I had no responsibility. Mm. Um, it just meant I was there to see the country and to experience all these wonderful things. So mm. I was really able to just, get up every day and do me first, like before anything else. Like I love helping people. Like it's part of who I am. Like I get such a buzz out of helping others. Um, but there I was like, well, it's just the two of us and this van. So I'm going to get up in the morning and go for a run. And I was wow. like, I mean, it start, It wasn't a run to start with, actually. It was, it was very much a shuffle uh, <laughs> and a walk. But I committed. I did an hour every day just to start the day. And very often uh, my girlfriend would pick me up like an hour down the road yeah, yeah. from there. Yeah. Uh, and her support was first class. Like I, I don't know if it would have been as successful had I not had her support. Mm. Uh, you know, we were cooking at the back of a van. I was a vegetarian for that time. I was mm. just really loving life. And yeah. actually, um, the weight started to come off and I really liked it. And I thought, God, this feels good. Like just to kind of not carry 21 stone around every day and getting in the back of a van. And, you know, this it was a small panel van. So, you know, there was a lot of me. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and then every day just focused on, I'd make a decision when we were eating what the next meal was. So... Mm -hmm. I never went hungry to make a decision on food. If I was making a decision on food when I was hungry, it was going wrong that day. <laughs> yeah, game over. Yeah. I'll eat everything. <laughs> just write the day off, and I was okay with that. I'd be like, yeah. right, today's today's not you know not a day to be losing weight. Today's a day to go right. Fuck it, we've just been up the glacier, and now we're having a whatever pizza for yeah. dinner. But yeah. often, more often than not, it was make a decision when I was eating what the yeah. next meal was going to be. And that made life a lot easier to make choices around food. Um, mm. And I'm a big advocate. It's 80% diet, 20% exercise. We see that all over the place, but it really is. Um, yeah. but, but having said that, I do believe that 20% exercise carries through that 80% of food choices. Because by doing that walk every morning for an hour... Like, there was no way I was eating shit that day. No yeah. way in a million years. Because yeah. I felt fucking great. And I was like, my God, my ass hurts. My legs hurt. Like, why? I'm not going to go and eat that shit. 
Mm. Today's a win. Today's a good day, you know? Mm. You know, and if I didn't do the walk, then it wasn't happening that day. Or if I didn't do the run, you know, the food, everything goes out the window. They're all kind of in sync for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's how I lost the weight. But it was Mm. just beautiful sights in New Zealand. Um, Yeah, just loving life no responsibility no stress no cortisol in the body whatsoever yeah and it, yeah and sleeping because that's the you know people just underestimate yeah. the basic stuff like yeah. you've got to get like the number of clients i've got yeah. i'm like they're going i want to lose weight and it's like you know and i'm coaching about money but you know i deal with people's yeah. whole lives and i'm like look you don't you sleep four hours a night like yeah sort that out first yeah you know, bloody good chance because i know if i've had four hours sleep and i i'm eating yeah. any carb that comes you know comes my way. i don't want to eat anything healthy i want to eat toast and yeah you know, all of it. so it's, it's definitely so- it really is that it really is that balance you know and it's yeah. it's not just sleep it's all of it you know the cortisol, the work the stress yeah. the whole thing definitely definitely and i think once you once you strip it back and you've got, I, you know, I'm a believer in having someone to support you. Like, we don't always see that side of ourselves. Like, yeah. I, I like it now, you know, like yeah. after after Thailand happened, you know, I, yeah. I reverted straight back, like into wow. coping mechanisms. Stress, and, yeah. and, you know, and I will say food served a purpose in my life. Food, yeah. you know, it kind of helped me to get to where I am. So, you know, I'm not kind of um, shunting you know, and certainly, certainly not sort of fat shaming. There was times in my mm-hmm. life where being fat was the right thing for mm-hmm. me. You know, mm-hmm. getting get, recovering from a nervous breakdown after coming back from Thailand was, you know, that was a huge thing for me. Like I, I couldn't function, let alone feed myself and eat. Yeah. Like I wasn't able to do anything. So, you know, mm-hmm. those blocks and we have to eat to survive. You know, you can't you can't live a life without food, you know. Mm-hmm. And I also said I, I was very much, um, I joined when I really struggled with disordered eating um, mm-hmm. around kind of like just the the connections to food and the emotional connection to food and all of that stuff. I, I joined the 12 Steps program, um, mm-hmm. the one you mentioned about, but yeah. it was still with Overeaters Anonymous. Anonymous you know? Yeah, and, and that 12 Steps program, you can apply it to anything, absolutely mm-hmm. anything when it comes to behaviour, when it comes mm-hmm. to yourself, prioritizing yourself, you know, really kind of handing over this, um, you know, this kind of, I've got to be better. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. It's like when we actually hand that over and we're like, right, somebody just fucking tell me what to do today. You know, whoever that somebody is or that sense of higher self to really reach in and meditate or find it at your core then for me, that's a huge support. You know, I think that can create any behavior change if you follow it, you know, religiously. Yeah. Um, and I don't, yeah. Um, so you... I feel like I'm talking a lot here. Not at all, not at all. I'm just going to plug a different microphone. No, it stopped. I was getting some feedback of my own voice, which is then a pain for when people are just listening to it. Um, no, it's no, it's awesome. I think I think we don't. The reason I do these talks like I do, and we speak for so long, it's like that's what matters. Like hearing someone's story of everything 
you know, like the whole internet world of sound bites and quick this and just, it just, yeah. it doesn't work, you know, and look, it's not, not everyone's going to sit for two hours and listen and people do and they go, wow, that was really helpful. So it's, it's good to get the whole thing of it. Otherwise, you know, people might see a snapshot of you overweight and then you're now fit and a PT and don't realize that you were overweight. And then actually you went back overweight and the yeah. journey cycled. And when yeah. you had some trauma, you fell back into what you used to do. And it's like hearing that for people is so good because then they go, oh, it's not just me. It, oh, you know, yeah. That's what happens, you know, because so I many people. Survival. It's survival, you know, like I think as well, when people kind of go into that realms, you know, talk about fat shame. And I mean, I had an extension on my seatbelt to get to these other countries, you know, like when somebody's walking down the aisle with a bright fucking orange, you know, extra two feet of seatbelt. And then they hand it to the back. It's like, oh, you just want, yeah. you want the plane to crash. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Fucking get me off this thing. You know, but then, and then some might be listening and thinking, well, you, you put yourself there, mate. Do you know what I mean? Which, okay, maybe I did. But actually, was that a choice? Fuck no. Mm. You know, does anybody, does anybody choose that? No. But, you know, the, I will also say, you know, you can be fat and really healthy too. Because, you know, when I was working as a production manager for those years freelancing and I was overweight, you know, I'd be the first up a telescope, up a ladder, you know, I'd be the first one to run up three flights of stairs. I'd be the first one to go, right, I'm going to go and watch this from the front of the audience. And I'd have to go like out the building, around the front and, and yeah. wait for 50 people on stage, you yeah. know, that. So in terms of energy and that sort of stuff, it's like, yeah, don't don't judge a book by its cover, literally. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it's it's about it, it depends, doesn't it? It's it's about how long does something go on for? You know, like you couldn't sustain that for decades, but actually when you're young and you're working and you've got cortisol and adrenaline and some amazing, some amazing yeah. hormones to get us moving and all of that world. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And yeah. so what so you did so you went to spain you did that you went to london you're now a pt yeah. so what i'm interested in is how what was the difference so you went from you were living in wales or had you already been traveling around at this point before you went to spain so what i'm interested in is your original friends who didn't know you were gay so you came out and then you went off and did loads of stuff did you come home and they were like oh you're different did you deal with any of that or were they used to you traveling and going away and they didn't really see a difference and were fine or did you deal with anything of like you know longer term yeah. friends um, you know how, how did that work out uh yeah so a couple of things uh one of my very close friends before I went away or whilst I was away uh, yeah. when I came back and was like I preferred the fat Ryan that was like the yeah. second thing he said yeah and, you know He'd lost all his hair at that point. So, I, I, you know, I think I came back with some sarky, shitty remark as well. But I, it was like, I, I, I really tried to work out what that meant. I was, because in my world, I was like, well, I'm the same Ryan, right? I just don't have as much of me. You know, I'm the same person. Um, so, you know, there was, yeah, not everybody accepted it. And then on the flip side of that, you know, one of my best mates was absolutely in awe and you know and he um he came to join us in australia for a while and you know he's he'd come out on runs and he's not a runner but he yeah. 
he really kind of wanted to kind of understand like what I'd gone through and been through. So, mm. you know, I think you really get to know who your friends are, you know, and, yeah. and it's okay that that other friend didn't really get what I'd been to. You know, I wasn't like looking back now, what I know now, I'm like, I'm not judging him for that. You know, yeah. it's, it's just where he was. And, you know, he was young too. And would he say it now? Probably not. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. part and parcel of, relationships and friendships and how they kind of ebb and flow and mm. but yeah and I, I after so after my PT course I went to live and work in London and then I really wanted to research um, obesity mm-hmm. and the kind of epidemic that was kind of being forecast mm. uh, so in 2009 then um, my sister uh, was moving out to Canada for a year and I had no responsibility at that point. So I was like, I'll come to Canada for a year and live in Vancouver. Yeah. So I went to Vancouver and that was predominantly to kind of research the topic and really kind of get to grips with like what's going on, what's out there, who's saying what, you know, mm-hmm. very American side as well, really trying to understand what's happening. And then, um, that's what took me to Thailand. So I spoke at the World Obesity Conference in 2010 um, mm. to challenge a lot of the surgical interventions. No, mm. not to challenge oh. the surgical, not to challenge them, to be honest, because I think there's a place for them. But yeah, but the gastric bands that they were pr- performing over in Thailand and the sort of the, the that part of the world they then come up with a, um, a more permanent surgery, so that, and it's available now where you, you cut away the stomach, so you don't restrict the stomach, you just take it away. Yeah. Um, but I had some real issues with that because I had a client in London who had a gastric band. She hadn't had the, the, the surgery, yeah. um, but her life was miserable. Like, I remember seeing her day in, day out, and I'd work with her once a week in the gym. And it broke my heart. It absolutely broke my heart because I could see how weight was controlling her life. I could see how now not only the weight was controlling her life, she'd lost weight but still wasn't happy with her body. Mm. But now she was in a place of she couldn't stop the temptation, so she wanted the food, Mm. but food wouldn't go down. Mm. So have like a tiniest bit of food and it doesn't go anywhere but what it doesn't do it doesn't stop that want that desire that um you know when you smell a donut or you smell a coffee even or whatever it is it kind of triggers our brain you know it triggers all the salivation and all of that kind of stuff and you want it you know Mm -hmm. and if you've got the same relationship with me with food you know if i open a packet of biscuits that packet of biscuits is gone like Mm -hmm. You know, I don't eat three and put them in the cupboard. Yeah, I could, but I can't. Mm. So, you know, but for her, seeing her journey, I was like, yeah, somebody's got to do something about this. So I went out there and I challenged the behavior. um, And yeah, it was intense. There was 500 Mm. doctors in the room. One couple of researchers from America. And Mm. they were the ones that pissed me off the most. And that's when I... I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna keep my mouth shut, and uh, and I just kept asking the question. I was like, "So what happens if you eat the food?" And they're like, "Well, you can't eat the food." I'm like, "No, you can well, put it in the food." So, 
I'm yeah. like, what happens if you eat the food? And they kept saying, well, your stomach won't accept, like you won't be able to, you'll be full. You'll be, I'm like, yeah, I, trust me, I can be full and still eat food. Like yeah. I can definitely be satisfied or think I'm satisfied and still want that little bit. Yeah. So I was there and I challenged them. And then in the end, the guy had to say, well, you'd vomit. And now my client that I worked with in London used to vomit six, seven, eight times a morning and afternoon and night. And it just broke my heart. So I was like, well, really, are you solving the problem? And, um, and the biggest thing for me, which I wanted them to reinstate, was they'd taken out this in 2009. They took away the psychological interview or the psychological intervention between the surgeon and the client. So before 2009, you'd have to have an appointment with a psychologist to say, are you ready? Are you equipped? Can you deal with this type of thing? Are you prepared for a lifestyle of this, this, and this? They took all that away, which meant the surgeon, as a client, you can go directly to a surgeon, pay the money, and cut your stomach away. No one asks anything, off you go. Wow. It's scary, isn't it? And it's that... I think for me, because I've watched a few people do this, including the whole, you know, the full surgery. I'm like, I've watched, I'm going, but you're not dealing with why you eat. You're not yeah. dealing with everything that you've talked about. So you just, that, that when medical intervention does that, it's this complete disregard for everything else that makes us human. Just like, yeah. oh, don't worry, we'll just do that and you'll be fine. It's like, no, no, we won't. And it'll end up manifesting God knows in what other other ways. And it's just such a, I think the thing that's sad for me, and, you know, I'll get called a kook and all sorts because, you know, I believe in homeopathy. I won't go near the health services if I can help it. I've, I've been to doctors before when I was exhausted and burnt out when I was a chef and they offered me antidepressants. I'm going, I don't want antidepressants. I'm fucking tired. I need some time off. And my to, to get time off, I need a sick note to say, exhaustion like I knew what I needed then this inability to just go oh well have some medicine or let's cut your stomach out or it's like if we could just have both you know I don't advocate like neither you know like one or the other I just wish we could have both you know I went through I've got two little kids they're two and four and I had home births zero medication and I had to fight for that you know I was 30 38 and 40 when I gave birth. So I'm classed as a geriatric mother. They actually call you that on the form, right? Easy. So you're, you're, you, you must be you're too old to have a baby. So so they put you, they try and put you under doctor-led immediately because you're old. And I'm thinking, I'm fitter than most of the 20-year-olds in the maternity ward. You know, it's like yeah. most of the midwives didn't even realize, realize my age until they looked at my form. And I actually brought up going, I don't want doctor-led. I want midwife and I want a home birth. And yeah. look, if I'm going to die or my baby's going to die, do whatever you need to do. I'm all in. Cut me open. Save us. Do what you want. But until that point, leave me the fuck alone. And they're like, no doctors led. You'll need to, we'll book you in for a C-section as if my body's suddenly forgotten that I don't know what age that how to give birth. because I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like women have been giving birth for millennia, but no, you'll need a C-section because you're old. And it's this, it's the same psychology as what's happening with gastric bands and stuff of like, can we not just deal with humans and what we're capable of and the psychology around it? 
I had to sit in a doctor's room because I was overdue and say, no, I will not come in for a C-section or to be induced. There's nothing wrong with my baby. I think you've got the dates wrong because actually you don't know the dates because it's all yeah. just done on the last day of your period. So you don't even know what my date is. You've just given me this arbitrary date that doesn't mean anything, which in France would have been two weeks later anyway. I was I'm not doing it. Yeah. And I sat there as the doctor wrote across my notes, informed patient of higher risk of stillbirth in brackets, baby dying in, you know, big letters across my notes. I'm like, what is wrong? This is the time of life when a woman needs to be calm, relaxed. Supported. Feeling supported and safe. And I've got to go through that so that unfortunately, and I, you know, I, I hold nothing against this doctor. So unfortunately he can cover himself against investigation if God forbid something had happened to me. I'm just like, what is wrong with us as humans? Yeah that we're doing this and same with like I love that you went to that meeting I mean god you that's yeah. walls to stand up in front of 500 doctors and go come on guys can we have like something else and and I think like you know going back to what you said like there's no right or wrong but actually there is like we know ourselves like that's my biggest you know this is what I like to champion in client work like like you know the answers, you know, like you say about the giving birth and stuff. And, you know, my best friend did exactly what you said. And and mm. I am in fucking awe of of all you women who give birth, like, you know, what in whichever way, you know, my sister. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I'm all in, like people who want to go hospital-led, C-section, like do what's yeah. right. But it's like having that removal of like, no, you need to do this because you're old. And yeah. we just think it would be better to book you in. It's like, and that language as well, that just pisses me off. Like, what? you know, it's, it comes with so much stigma, doesn't it? Like, it comes with so much bullshit. It's like age really is just a number. You know, I train, I train clients who are in their 70s. You know, I've had some of my best success rates. And I'm like, I've had clients want to change careers like when they're 70. And I'm like, fucking yes. Like, yeah. You know, you you know, if it's your nan, she would have had twenty nine years in the bank. Like, there's mm -hmm. there's time for plenty of things to do in that time, you know. And it's yeah. it's yeah, I you know what you need, you know. And that whole giving birth is 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 well, it's just astounding. But it's it's you know, yeah. Like if something goes wrong, get an ambulance and off you go. Do you yeah, know? Like, that's glad we live where we live. Intervention. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Or whatever it is, it's like. But yeah, you know, everybody should have the right to, to to have that. And it's the same you mentioned antidepressants. You know, I'm I'm not um I'm not against antidepressants. No, me neither. But at the same time, like it's time. It's like somebody to sit down and kind of be like, you know, if it's me, it's like, right, what's going on? Like, like, you know, if it was four weeks ago, you know the guy would have probably, my doctor would have given me the highest dose of antidepressants. Mm. But, you know, it's only like really when I sit and I kind of go, right, what is actually wrong with me? Like, what is going on? And then a bit of support. I have a couple of chats with a few people that I trust. And, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it's just this time of year, actually. It's this cycle of, of mm. pattern of, and of it, like, and it's my body. It's, it's not, you know, it's, I'm not cognitively aware, like, this is coming up. You know, and there's some years, I'll and it it'll come and go. Like I won't even won't even remember. Yeah, I'll be like, oh yeah, this has come and gone, and it's been a good year. Yeah. And then there's other years, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> why why can I not get out of bed? 
you know like why am i struggling like this and i'm champion other people like and when it comes to other people at the detriment of my own self-care sometimes which is when i really have to check myself i can prioritize somebody else just to avoid some of my shit you know so when when i sync with myself that's my best work yeah um, I'm not in sync and I acknowledge it and some of my clients might even be listening to this and I can say like this is not a great week for me like you know I'm here I'm present I'll do my best but you know and and rest assured if it's not right or not ethical for me to be here because I can't be present and that's one of my biggest things if I can't be present then I won't be there mm. you know it's, it's mm. really not important to me and people mm. say oh you're so much more than a PT Ryan and I'm like so mm. what I you know, I ask them, I'm like, well, you tell me because all I'm doing is I'm talking to you about what your goals are, what you want to achieve, and I'm giving you what I think you deserve, which mm. is that level of support, you know? Mm. So, yeah. And sometimes I have to hold that mirror up and say, what are you doing for yourself, right? Because self-care is by far the most important thing to succeed, to strive in any aspect of life. You know, I think... You know, I, I'm always fascinated by the title, the financial freedom. And I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and I'm like, what does that mean? Because I know what it means for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, well, uh, I'll give you a, uh, give you an inkling. What my clients say is I hoodwink them with financial freedom and then I make them deal with the rest of their lives. Because that's it. Because it's like the financial freedom bit. It's like it's almost there's two ways. There's the, the metric of expenses are covered by, you know, passive income. But actually true financial freedom is it's the same as dealing with food it's just not a thing anymore it doesn't matter how much money you've got or not got or whether you're earning or not earning it doesn't matter that's like for me that's true financial freedom yeah. you know I spend way more time with my clients talking probably similar to what you're doing with yours people come to get fit and then yeah. you get them to deal with everything else and they're yeah. like Wait, I mean, I you're just going to give me some exercises. It's like, yeah, I am. And we're going to deal with this. Otherwise, yeah. we won't go out of bed. Yeah, 100%. And there's so much more when you discover the why and what the motive is. And, you know, motivation is a really kind of shallow word, actually. Like, yeah. And I use it in that way as well. I'm like, yeah, motivation is 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 got um, a time limit, you know. Yeah. But when you can really implement change in someone, and when that little mo that little bit of motivation ignites a fire that's going to mm -hmm. fucking burn and burn down something that you no yeah. longer want, it's like that's yeah. great motivation, you know. Yeah. And I think your financial freedom. So I earn less money now than what I did previously. Yeah. But fucking hell, I'm definitely you're happy. Like life's working, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. and I I've I've had uh, meetings with clients where I'm like. Dude, what would it be like to take off the golden handcuffs? You know, like, can you even, like, what would your life be like? And it's like, it's such a scary concept for people. I'm like, what do you need? Do you know what I mean? If, if COVID taught us anything, yeah. you realize in COVID, like, money really doesn't fucking matter. Mm -hmm. Because those days where we were told to stay indoors, couldn't do anything, like it really Didn't spend any money except in McDonald's, but don't yeah. get me started on that one. You can go to the drive through. It was like, really? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's you know, that taking off those gold hankers, best thing I ever did, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely. The number and of people freedom of choice, you know? Yeah, 
yeah, the number of people that come and the, I've just, my money mastermind course, I do it once a year and it just completed on Saturday. We complete with a workshop here. The rest is online for five months. So it's a five month course as well. People are like, oh, I'll just do it in a weekend. It's like, no, change happens over the long term, like little by little. So, which is why I do the course like that. And um, this course was my favorite one yet because I had someone on the course who earned a lot of money and they yeah. were on the course. So I got to say to people, those of you in the room that think that more money is going to solve your problems, please see that it doesn't make a fucking difference. Like zero difference. The money makes no difference. Yeah. And it's so powerful for people to see that and go, oh, but, you know, they're earning half a million a year. And they're still dealing with the same shit I'm dealing with. There's just a few yeah. more noughts on the end. Yeah. You know, it's just. And, and I think, you know, I, you know, I definitely know there's the other end of the spectrum where people can't access this. <laughs> you know, I totally, I, yeah. I can appreciate that. And I, I can appreciate that struggle of it. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Like, it's t time is the most fucking valuable thing you can ever put anything on, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like when when somebody passes away or somebody dies, like nobody gives a fuck about money. It's like if yeah. I can have one more conversation with both my grandfathers, yeah. I would be I live in poverty for the rest of my life. Yeah. I really would. Yeah. And because I want those conversations, I want that time with them. Yeah. You know, it's it's so important. And mm. yeah, I think that's that's a huge um yeah, kind of a huge factor for me is the time. Mm, mm. Yeah, and it's one of the things that I've got a few JV groups who are fairly close to being the technical financial free, where their expenses, their basic expenses are covered by property income. Yeah. And I say to them, I went, guys, this is going to be the biggest high you're going to get from this because everything else after this, because when you free up your time, yeah. that's high. That's the like, oh, my God, I can literally do whatever I want with my time. After you've got that high, everything else is just more. It's like a bigger car or a bigger house or you spend some more on holiday. Like it doesn't matter. There's no, you know, the incremental thing in the first like naught to 60,000 pounds is massive. Anything after that, you know, and people go, oh, yeah. Oh, you're just saying that. It's like, no, really, really. Yeah. You know, we moved, we moved into this house now that we're renovating and it's massive, you know. And we moved in and we were, for a few weeks, we were going, shit one of the owners coming home you know we like felt yeah. like we were just living in someone else's house six months on we're like it's just a house it's literally yeah. just a house people come up come to the house and go wow this house is amazing and we're like yeah it's just our house it's just where we live like humans just get used to whatever they get you know it, yeah. it's, and people sort of know that cognitively but they don't realize it until you go through someone dying or we went like co i love yeah. covid like, didn't love it in the sense of I thought it was yeah. good, but I loved it for what it taught us. Like, nothing matters. The amount of money that people spend on shit was taken away. Yeah. You can't go in a taxi. You can't buy takeaways. You can't go into a restaurant. Well, you could buy takeaways, but you can't go into restaurants. You can't just go shopping and spend stuff. You'd be lucky if you got even an online delivery because all of that was a struggle for a while. Yeah. You no, know? and, and then it's like, and everyone survived. And everyone yeah. actually went... Oh God, that was easy. Not having to rush around all the place all the time. Yeah, and and I, you know, being a PT, I was kind of, um, I was still sort of trying to work with my clients and yeah. you know trying to keep a hand in. And there was that whole thing. And I think it, it might have been Charlotte that said it in your podcast. Um, 
you know, about everyone was fixated on, right, physical health, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, or they were just eating their way through COVID. Yeah, one or the other. You were like, one extreme or the other. <laughs> and I remember going on the radio a couple of times to do, like, um, just a chat about, you know, hints and kind of tips for people and what they could do and all of that stuff. And I, I remember thinking, like, God, we're never, ever going to experience, like, how many people in their life are going to ever get to experience at this time? Like it was so important. And, and, you know, and I think if you say to some people now, if you could have that time back, what would you do differently? I think they would change a lot of what they did, but you know, it was just such an important way to sort of really affirm like who you are, what you've got, what you're doing and being grateful for, everything yeah. that you have whatever that is you know yeah, um, yeah. And what really matters it's like it shows up what really matters to people doesn't it yeah yeah you said about what did you say then about um oh that high you know when you realize right i've got that time and you hit that high point i think i had that sort of after i got married last year and i was like so i work pt like i try and finish my day's work by 11 12 o'clock midday at the latest like for me yeah. you know, I can be out from half past five in the morning, quarter to six, and then I, you know, I put a great shift in. But then come the afternoon, I'm like, and sometimes I come home and I'm buzzing. So like I'm full of energy. And I, I'm like, right, what can I do with this time? And then and then it's kind of so that sort of propelled me on to do the my um counseling training and doing my postgrad and all of that kind of stuff and ways yeah. to help my clients more and be more equipped and that sort of stuff. And then recently um one of my clients experienced kind of um some adversity last year with cancer and I was like do you know what I've got this time in the afternoon and I don't want to fill it but I've just secured a job now with Marie Curie in the hospice wow really looking forward to connecting with people who are going to be sort of at the end of their life or in bereavement counseling working with families and just trying to help people process that final stage mm. uh, of life what you know because Marie Curie isn't just working with cancer patients now it's any end oh, of life care okay so, yeah so I'm, I'm really wow. intrigued and, and privileged to have that time um, and these are all choices I've made you know these are like I said I earn less money now than I have done and if I really wanted the money, like I should go off and do some corporate work. But that's I want to work with the people I love and live with in Penarth. Yeah, yeah, it's huge, and it's such a anyone who's listening to this, it's like really let that sink in for a minute, because so many people chase the money and they think the money will make them feel better. And what makes us feel better as human beings is doing what we really want to do, yeah. and being able to have the ability to do what you want to do and go. Do you know what? I'm going to work with end of life care in the afternoons because I can, because that's yeah. what I want to do. Like that feeling of doing that. And I mean, I'm sure there's going to be heartbreaking days where it's like you can yeah. have all the therapy training in the world. And, yeah. you know, there's going to be days where it's like, fuck, that was hard. But in the main, it's going to be, you know, the whole uplifting, helping people, serving. Yeah. I think for me, compassion, that level of compassion. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because people shit themselves when they, when you think about death and you think, right, we're all going to die one day. Everybody's kind of like has a a kind of a visceral level of fear. Like nobody wants to die, you know. Mm. But you know, it's that kind of 
feel it. And and for me, like I, I wrote about it in the book, one client I worked with in London and, and he'll always stay with me. Um, mm. you know, I've got a place in my heart really. And and I kind of think it was so amazing in those last final weeks. You know, he was in his late seventies, stage four cancer, and I went and did PT with him three times a week. You know, I'd go there, I'd sit with him, we would do I'd get him out of the chair, we'd walk across the road to the bench on a good day. And, you know, he would reflect on his life. And, and you know, and I really do think, like, I was so intrigued by this guy. Like, he was just fascinating. And I'm yeah. fascinated by people anyway, because I believe yeah. we've all got our journeys, our stories. And when I said to him, you know, like, what was your earliest, like, what's your earliest memory? And then, he, you know, he would just recount a story. And then I'd ask a question about, like, what are the things that he, you know, what brings him what brought him joy like when he met that person and like you know and suddenly he's reflecting on his life and i i had no fucking training then bear in mind i was a six-pack just come off a pt course thinking i was god's gift to the gay community in london do you <laughs> know like yeah so do you know what i mean my i was yeah. through the when i connected with him that for me felt really like that was like opening up my heart and really mm. kind of um being present and privileged to hear these amazing stories and and grappling with his death as well, thinking, yeah. God, I'm not going to be here for much longer. And yet, yeah. you know, he's choosing to spend this time to do this three hours a week. Wow. And, and he's having these conversations. And I think, what a beautiful way to process your life. Mm. Almost with a stranger mm. who can really recount it, because ultimately he was recounting it for himself, you know? Yeah. Um, mm. And it's just, yeah, it makes me fascinated, really, that you know, to to offer that up as a as a way to process what's coming, um, mm. and yeah, to 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 help someone through it, maybe. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? I, I I spent a lot of time with my grandma. She lives up in Staff. She lived up in Staffordshire, so she's quite a way away because I'm in Newport, and. Mm. Um, for the last four years, you know, I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. We've had COVID. Like, yeah. just seeing it has been, you know, it's been much less than normal. And <clears throat> actually getting to spend that time with her, she was dying. She, she was completely cognitive, 100% knew everything was going on. She still lived in her own home. Yeah. She had a living carer. And then for five weeks, she basically, she couldn't, she went off her legs to use a veterinary term. She was a farm vet, right? Yeah. So she couldn't stand or walk anymore. So, you know, that's like, that is the beginning of the end. There's no, like, there's no coming back from that. Plus she's 99. And um, spending that time with her, I think it gave me something that I've never experienced before around, she was fine. She was peaceful. There was a, yeah. there was a very interesting thing of being with her, but it was almost like she was already going because she was asking yeah. for her mum and dad and her brother. So it was like she was really lucid, but it was like she was lucid in where we were and in whatever that we, wherever it is we go. You know, I, I have no specific beliefs in it. And like being with her while she's asking for people who aren't here anymore, it's like, wow, that is, it's almost like, the body I know within birth, my body knows what to do. I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. And it, there was something going through it with grandma going, oh, we're the same in death. Yeah. Like actually our bodies know what to do. And in whatever way we start to shut down, like her legs stop working. And then 
the last five days, she basically kind of went to bed and because we were getting her up every day. We had a hoist, you know, the services were amazing. We had hoist, a proper bed. First few days without all that was fucking hard. But after that, you know, all of the services kick in. I mean, anyone who says, oh, the NHS is useless, like when you really need them, oh, you know, yeah. when yeah. my brother was in intensive care, by God, they were amazing. And when my grandma was dying, we were having beds and hoists delivered on a Saturday and a Sunday. Yeah. When they ordered the day before, like just heaven and earth, you know, carers coming in, district nurses, you name it. And it was like the body knows what to do. Yeah. You know, stop, stop. Like acceptance, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of like a, because I think there's a lot of, like with birth, there's a lot of stuff in movies where it's gory and dramatic and it's all going wrong and it's horrific. And actually most of life's fairly, I mean, birth was really messy. I'm going to give... Yeah, like it was messy. I was like, Jesus, this is gross. You know, and we were at home as well. So clearing up the mess is not like in a hospital where, you know, it's much simpler. But apart from that, in the main, labor was kind of quiet. There was a lot of waiting and death's yeah. kind of the same, you know, that sort of quiet. And then she went to sleep and she just, my mum my was with her. So I left the day before she passed away. I needed to come back for kids and all the rest of it, but spent a couple of days with her just before. And I just sat with her and held her hand. You know, slept by a bed, held a hand and just kind of there's just this peace. It was amazing. And I, I know all deaths are different, but there was something about it was like, oh, the body just knows what to do. It yeah. shuts down. And then she took a last breath and was gone. And that was, yeah. that was it. But it was like very quiet. There was lots of time, you know, all of that. And I, I believe that ought to be sort of processing time, like the body's processing yeah. it. Her yeah. mind processing it, your process, you know, and and I I believe kind of um, there is a I I believe there's a sense or an ability to kind of, or maybe it's a visceral thing, like maybe it is a body thing, like you, you know you kind of you don't have control over when it's going to happen, but mm. you kind of you're going through whatever it is you go through, and I guess none of us will ever know what that is, but we will experience mm. it one day, you know, yeah. and I think it, for me it's really. It's so I'm being I'm okay with that, and I yeah. think you know to help somebody else through my own stuff to be okay mm. with it is probably I you know I think is a huge gift really, and and I learned it through trauma, but mm. you know I think mm. if somebody else can kind of experience that the way you've just described it, you know it's very peaceful, it's very calming, mm. it's very it's natural. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and thinking back to Michael as well you know not once did he ever reflect and say oh I wish I'd done that person's hair he was a hairdresser I wish I'd done right. that you know and he did a lot of celebrities and different things but he yeah. was like he had a salon in Mayfair like he was, he was a brilliant guy wow. but he never once talked about oh I wish I had a bigger salon or I wish I had more money or I wish I had that. Do you know what I mean? It was all about relationships. Like everything mm. reflected on was about the people in his people. life and, you know, the people in the life and the time he had with those people and the different times of his life. Like he kind of, you know, so almost storyboarded it as, as we went through really. Yeah. Wow. What gift for you to him as well to like, Amazing. Give him that space to hear his story. Yeah, and I, and I believe in all of it. You know, you're a coach. Like, I think anybody who works in that kind of one-to-one -one mm. element, you know, whether it be a hairdresser, you know, mum was a hairdresser for many years, grew yeah. up in a hair salon, 
Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of that a therapist, a, a counselor, somebody yeah. where you go for massage, reflexology, a friend. Yeah. You know, when you're connecting like that, you know, I think, yeah, like we're all privileged really to to hear That's these things. Yeah. And, mm. and it's give and take, isn't it? You know, and sometimes the balance is off. Yeah. Um, and you can acknowledge that, it's fine, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So you're doing you're going to be doing that you do pt so does is there ever a do you see people as a therapist or are you taking that part of everything you've learned into the Marie Curie I mean you're going to use all of that in your pt I'm going to tell you your push-ups now and I'm not going to say anything else like obviously you're using your skills do people come and see you as a therapist or a coach yes, I've done a couple I've, I've done a couple of hundred hours now as a therapist yeah. um my aim is to my ultimate aim is to do sort of a walk and talk therapy. Um, mm. So I, I move in with a person. Like I, I don't see myself doing the sort of traditional therapy in the sense of you sit there, I'll sit here, we're in a room, we're going to, pro you know, yeah. there is a place for that. And maybe I'll integrate that depending on the client. But mm. yeah, for me that, you know, being out in nature, walking around Cosmistern or, down the beach or you know having that walk and talk that freedom to be yeah. able to say whatever you need to say you know mm. um and in in the sessions i've done and i've, I've worked for a couple of nhs like tl is doing counseling um mm. and yeah so i'm you know a couple of hundred hours in of experience with it yeah. and during like quite a lot of different things i mm. think i'm starting to find a niche of yeah like walk and talk therapy I think it's got do you know do you know Ruth Steggles, who's got the company Fresh Air Fridays? No, I don't. I need to introduce you to her. Oh, fab. She oh does, yes. She does, she works in Cosmoston, right? Well, she so Ro, I think Ro she had someone else doing Cosmoston. So she's in Penturk and there's Rose, her business partner. Ruth yeah. is doing a lot of eating disorder coaching now. So she's not doing okay so much of the fresh air friday stuff but basically they are they're doing walking and coaching and group yeah. group work the reason i'm thinking of it is she's a client as well she's one of my jv groups they're looking for someone else to come into the business so i just i think it would be worth a conversation just to see where yeah. that goes couldn't not say that after you went walking and talking it really works yeah, like, I, you know I think when you're moving like I, I, i'm yeah. doing a research at the moment about kind of feeling the pain and um, so like yeah. how, how we embody um how we can embody other people's pain through empathy and different things mm -hmm. and, and just the kind of uh physical reaction there's an amazing book um the body keeps the score you might have heard yes. of it um, yeah. yeah you know it tells us so much about um yeah there's just so much to know and so much to learn mm -hmm. so i'm kind of researching a little bit of that so i really right. believe like when people are out I don't work in a gym as a PT. I work down the seafront um, or in different parks and different places. Um, yeah. I just don't fucking yes. like the gym. I just don't like that whole take a photo. You know, it's got a yeah. place for people, but for me, it doesn't drive me. And I know oh, it doesn't. It's just body focused, isn't it? It doesn't give you like the whole, yeah. it's not the whole thing. It's, it's a yeah. bit fragmented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think when we can be stimulated by everything around us, whether it's the sea, the park, nature, all of that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, 
fresh air, like just yeah. walking fresh air. So powerful. Yeah. And we go, oh, that's way too simple. That's not going to make a difference. Like it is. It's going to yeah. make it all the difference. You add walking and fresh air into like talking therapy. Therapy. It's like, yeah, just makes it, you know, it's yeah, just mind blowing. Nobody ever finishes a session saying they felt worse. You know, I, I, <laughs> in my own journey of therapy, and I've had counselling sessions where I've come out there and I've definitely felt worse. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's part and parcel of the processing and all of that stuff. But I just believe, like, being able to kind of get into something with someone, like, it's a transition of going into a session. You're in it. You're, you're absorbed in it. You're, you're in it together. Um, mm. And then trying to transition out of it by being in nature, it actually really can ground you in the environment yeah. and that sort of stuff. And you can really take care of your client as well in the way of checking in with them. Are they okay when they leave the session and that sort yeah. of stuff? So yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm hoping with the, the Marie Curie work, like maybe there's scoped in the bereavement counselling to do some group work or to do some, you know, getting people out considering we've got these beautiful surroundings in Penarth. So, yeah. yeah. Where's, where's, is the Marie Curie, is it one of the ones? Yeah, it's like, on the, yeah, it's on Marine Parade. So, yeah, so review, like the view that you can come out of the back of it onto the, like that's the park, it's really long that's parallel to the seafront, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you've got like a little bandstand, which I've done many yes. sessions in that bandstand. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I often look up at the building and I think, God, somebody in there is having a, either a really hard time. Yeah, or, me too. You know, and, and you can kind of, yeah, reflect a bit on that. And mm -hmm. again, just be grateful for what we have in the here and now. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's something, my journey as a coach, I kind of came in, I came into it accidentally by, I, my background's a chef. So I was a chef for 17 years, like hard going, all of that world. And I came into it because people started asking me for help with money and property. So I came at it kind of by mistake, helping people for free. And they're going, actually, you know, let's formalize this and all the rest of it. But I used to do one-to-one -one coaching and I don't do one-to-one -one coaching anymore unless it's really needed. But actually if people need really deep work, I'm not really the person to do it. It's better that they, you know, formally yeah. go to someone else and, do some, you know, I'll go pretty deep with people, but there's a level to which as well. Now I'm like, actually, do you know what? Having that as an add-on with someone else is really powerful. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I thought, oh, you know, go, and I went to group work because I started people joint venturing together. So they were in a group and it's so powerful in a group because people all of a sudden have the support of everyone else in the group and they get to see that they're not on their own. Because I think a lot of us, we go, I'm the only one dealing with this. Until we're in a group, I think because I've done 12-step program, you know, you're in a circle yeah. and you're going, but I'm not the only one that thinks I'm a complete mess. Everyone else in here also thinks they're a complete mess, but actually there's lots of us, so it's okay. And there's something yeah. so powerful about coaching and be like therapy in a group where everyone goes, I'm not the only one. And also... The therapist isn't the only one that can support them. Like having that other people that are going through the same thing and that shared experience and that when one person's having a shit day, there's guaranteed to be other people who are like, no, I'm okay. I've got, you know, I can support yeah. you. This is just, it's magical. Like being in groups. Yeah. Huge. And I think understanding your limitations as well, like really acknowledging, you know, when there's scope for something else that will help someone and really kind of, 
not yeah. you know kind of really owning that and sort of just acknowledging right okay this has gone a bit beyond where I can help you or actually if we introduce you to a group then you know like yeah you, and you can normalize something as as much as you you can normalize it but that person's got to feel it you know and very often if you're in that group environment and you've got mm. 10 people saying similar things around yeah. you know for me it was disordered eating which you know is not yeah. an eating disorder but it's, it's that relationship to food mm. and then when is giving their take on it I'm like oh yeah this is like it's not just me you know yeah it's, it's a thing like, this is something yeah. people deal with yeah yeah and mm. also for me, like I grappled when I started because I did an Ironman which is when I decided to give up my last job and start one-to-one -one again um yeah. the same way as I did London and you know on that day I remember thinking like yeah this is you know this is definitely like I had a coach for that, like he was amazing, but I could just kind of really know what I wanted, where I wanted to go, and really kind of trying to understand and help other people whilst having my own shit. Does that make yeah. sense? So like yeah. like understanding what's mine and what's not mine. Yeah. You know, the last thing you want to do is project your own stuff onto anyone. Yeah. And 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 equally, you know, the last thing you want is to be projected on too. Yeah. So it's kind of really understanding what the limitations are, what where you can help and where yeah. where it's going to pass somebody on, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or add add to their kind of lifestyle. Mm. Um, I remember feeling like a fraud for so long being a PT. Yeah. And, I, and I disclosed it to my clients. I was like, you know what? Like I've just finished an Iron Man, but you know, I'm, I feel like a fucking fraud. And they're like, oh my God, but right, you know, if you had six pack and you were doing this, this, and this with me, I wouldn't be coming to speak to you or to see you or to ask you to help me. You know, so yeah. many of us kind of connected because they've, well, this is what they say anyway on the website and stuff. They're like, you get it. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So. You're going to Thailand. It's like, oh, da, 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 da. we bring you back there in our magic mystery tour of everywhere we're going. Um, it must be a massive part of what's gone on. I mean, even imagine if, like, we just yeah. went, we, end, we could end the podcast now, and everyone's like, fucking hell. Yeah, like, yeah. That's amazing. Like, everything you bring to everything you do is epic. And then there's more. Just... Yeah, so, well, Thailand, I mean, I had my... Why did you go to... Remind me why you went to Thailand. So you were in... City conference. Yeah, you were... yeah, so let's just go back to there a second. Yeah. So you're telling 500 doctors, like... Yeah, what, what so we had... Yeah, we did the... Yeah, we did the, um, the conference and then um, I had a boyfriend at the time. So he was, um, he was with me and he mm. went up to Chiang Mai. He wanted to do a cooking course and, like... Uh, a massage, you know, like they offered all these different one day courses. So we wanted to do all these things. So I was like, yeah, great. I said, well, you know, I'm going to be working for like the best part. This conference was like three days. So I was like, I'm going to be working for three days and then I'll join you in Chiang Mai. So I went up to Chiang Mai to join them. And um, yeah, so it was four days after leaving the conference um, up in Chiang Mai. Somebody spiked my drink with crystal meth, which for anyone who knows me, like, 
I've never taken drugs. I don't take drugs. I, I like, you know, I'd be shitting myself to, you know, maybe tried a bit of marijuana in university thinking, but it made me fall asleep. So I was like, well, I'm never, do you know what I mean? Like drugs is just not for me. And I also know my personality around food. And I would be one of those guys, you know, who would either have an adverse reaction or I'd be, I'd be like, I'm extreme. Like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a drug addict now. But yeah, so um, when that happened, everything was taken away from me. Like, um, and I wasn't drinking at the time. So it wasn't like it was an alcohol kind of out on a bender, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah I had my drink spiked. It was around breakfast time and Jesus. That's even, that yeah. almost makes it worse like who yeah. the fuck is doing that shit at breakfast time who wakes up in the morning and goes i know i'm gonna spike someone's drink yeah and um my boyfriend had already gone to his course so it was it was such a well it kind of all went it went wrong in a bit in a big big way for me because i didn't know what the fuck was happening to me like, I really didn't know um, what was happening, but I knew something was wrong. Equally, I was kind of in some sort of euphoric state. Mm. Like, it, wasn't, it was bad. Mm. Um, I talk about it. I give a lot of detail in the book. And mm. I just, I'm always mindful of sharing some of my trauma around this because mm. the last thing I would want is to trigger anyone. Um, but, you know, if people really want to read those details of what yeah. being that sort of state of crystal meth in the body, then it, it is all in the book. Um, yeah, sure. Part of my kind of processing on a selfish level, really, was that narrative therapy around really kind of like, I need to put this to bed. I, I launched the book on September the 11th, 2021, yeah. um, for many different reasons. But I was like, I... I need to get to a place where I talk about this, which I do openly talk about it now, but I am always conscious of how it can trigger others um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's fucking intense. You mm -hmm. know, anybody out there has ever taken crystal math, but if you've taken it and you don't know you've taken it. It's then... that it's actually, cause I, I've, those that know me out, out of this podcast, I've taken quite a lot of drugs when I was younger. And mm -hmm. um, it's the, the issue is the not knowing you've taken it and not knowing what the fuck's yeah. going on. Because actually, if you're taking drugs and you know what you've taken and you're expecting X, Y, Z. And look, I've been in Zimbabwe with a with a friend at a rave taking ecstasy and it going, you know, and spewing up, going, thinking basically in a field, in a yeah. marquee. I mean, you know, white middle class people in Zimbabwe, big, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, I knew Mark who was who was there as well. Yeah. But think vomiting in a toilet going. I might fucking die today. Like actually having those thoughts of I might die, but at least I knew what was going on. I was like, well, I've just dropped two tablets. So if I'm yeah. going to die, it's because there's something in that and it's going to kill me. And then actually all it was, was it was so strong. I had that physical reaction, my body going, get this out of me. And then I had yeah. the best night of my life. But even then I could still, I knew what was going on because I knew yeah. what I'd done and I knew the risks. But to if I had gone through that feeling without knowing that I had drugs in me, Jesus Christ, that yeah. would have scared the bloody life out of me. Because then you don't know, so you don't know what to expect, so you don't know what's coming. And then it's, I'm assuming it got worse because then you're starting to freak out. And it's like that, it's the not knowing that is... Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's a real sort of... 
it's a violation. You know what I mean? Like I really looking back now, it's like, you know, you you're taking that control completely away from someone. You're yeah. not even telling them you're doing it. Yeah. And then and then they're expected, like, you know, yeah, it got a hell of a lot worse. And and again, managing some sort of euphoric, because there was an element of euphoria. Yeah. A euphoric state, but an outer body like it was just fucking mental. Um, and then I got really scared and really violent, and yeah, yeah, and just like a massive, massive reaction of like not knowing what the fuck was happening. Wow. And, yeah, and at breakfast time as well. So you're not even out in a club thinking someone's probably no. spiked my drink. I'm guessing as well because you're like it's fucking breakfast time. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know what intention was? Walking. Walking the streets of Chiang Mai, then, like, because I was like, what the fuck? Like, trying to find my boyfriend, not yeah. really. I knew I needed to get somewhere, like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then eventually, yeah, just kind of being at the hotel. And then the police came. Um, yeah. But there was a lot of that euphoric state, feeling like I could fly at the top of the building <laughs> and being kind of, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't want to go into that too much again, mainly for the listener. Um, but yeah, just I, I got arrested then, and all I kind of, you know, that it was just tumbleweed because then they tested me straight away in the, in the police station. They tested me um, for the drugs. Then I I could hear them talking and saying that you know he's taken drugs, mm. uh, and I heard them say the death penalty. For drugs which it is in thailand at that point i probably lost every sense of self and yeah so that talk about fear and death and stuff but i wasn't in control of that like my 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 brain by that point was way in you know the alarms had gone off way before then and i was in survival mode right from the start um in a way, I'm kind of grateful now that you know I did lose my 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 marbles completely. So they mm. took me out of the police cell and sectioned me in a mental hospital in Thailand. Which, mm. you know, if that had, like you said, if that had happened over here or in this country, you know, mm. there's you know there's a there's a difference when you're in Thailand and you're experiencing a cell and they really you know and you're being and language as well was there a language issue or is there is yeah so it was a very very broken english yeah. um and certainly in the in the hospital um where they were trying uh like get me to take drugs as in like obviously yeah. to, to calm you down calm you down and to all those stuff but i was like and i kind of heard through broken english that um somebody had given me drugs or I'd taken drugs. I could also hear um, my boyfriend in one of the interviews um, sort of speaking then. And then eventually, because I was just not, I wouldn't take it, like I was fighting every doctor, like physically. Mm. Um, so they, yeah, so they were going to go down the route of electrotherapy. Uh, which over there would have and actually um two people had died uh months before which i found out when i was writing the book uh, mm. of a similar incident having their drink spiked 
you know, the insection, different things, and then not coming out alive from Britain. Um, yes. So they changed. Um, my sister actually got the the embassies to change the guidelines um, for, to advise pe- advise people who are travelling of what was happening. So yeah. 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 And do you know what the intention was of the person that drugged you? Like, what was not the? Not a clue. So there's not. It's not like there's a there's a a, a sort of culture of drug you know mug like mug you steal everything or rape yeah. or any of that you don't know what the kind of no. what the reason was which is that to me is the weirdest thing like if there's yeah. a whole well we're going to drug tourists and then do xyz yeah. i mean it doesn't make it okay but at least there's a sort of yeah plan and, and i battled with that for for a few years actually um yeah, yeah i really battled with like why like what, yeah, weird. what were you going to get? Did you want my passport? Did you want money? Yeah. Did you want sex? Did you want, like, yeah. who was it? You know, was it a man? Was it a woman? Was it, mm. like, who the fuck was it? Like, and for a while, I I, I don't know if I struggled with it, but I, I really wanted to understand. Like, I don't like not being in control. Yeah. <laughs> Funny yeah, enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and for a while, I really struggled with it. And then I got to the point I had to let it go. Because it was kind of like, I was like, that I'm was haunting you forever, right? Yeah. Because like, yeah. you'll never get the answer. If you don't know, then. Yeah. And how can you know what you don't know? Do you know what I mean? Like, I really don't fucking know. And do I wish I knew? I wish I knew back then. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, who the fuck knows? Like, why do people spike people's drinks? You know, they've got yeah. whatever. I mean, it's fucked up, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I really, I really don't know. And I think I gave a first talk down on the pier when I set up one to one. It was about a year later, actually, two thousand eighteen, I think, nineteen, and that was the first time ever I told my story. Um, and in that evening, and you know, I had family there and, and friends and people I didn't know as well. Mm-hmm. And it was in that evening that I really kind of, I can pinpoint the moment where I was like okay, I can now accept the fact that I'm never going to know, you know, because I think until that point, I would always maybe think about it or I'd be like trying to recount, you know, did somebody fucking follow me from Bangkok who didn't like what I said in the OPC? Do you know what I mean? Like, did you know, I don't what know. What is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, when I gave my first talk, that was the time and I was really like, yeah, and I recounted that experience in detail. And mm, mm. then I was like, you know what? It, it has made me the person I am today. Um, you know, would I have chosen it? Absolutely not. But, mm. you know, am I grateful for who I am? Absolutely I am. Mm. Am I grateful for the opportunity to help other people? 100%. Mm, mm. Yeah. And um, so how long did it take to get you out? And what sort of... on a uh, The whole... It, it was about... So, yeah, I mean... My dad and my sister could definitely write a book um, on their journey of... of yeah. So my dad came over and came to Thailand with my sister, who's only 11 months older than me. So we're like twins. We've yeah. grown up together. She's, uh, yeah. Mm. Um, and my other sister was giving birth to my niece at the time. Wow. Yeah. So uh, my mum was with her and my nephew and my brother-in-law. And what they had to go through, including, like you say, about the pregnancy and giving birth, like, 
Jesus, my sister yeah. was, uh, yeah, in contractions on the phone to my sis, my other sister, helping yeah. her get through airports and God knows what else. Um, mm. Yeah, and then the, the the effect of it, you know, they, I mean, they were just truly amazing. My dad um, rocked me to sleep when I was in the hospital because they, I wasn't allowed out, and I had to pass all these tests. Um, mm. And I'll be, always be forever grateful for the fact that I speak Welsh because me and Leanne, me and my sister speak Welsh and um, we we only spoke in Welsh over there and that's the only time I truly felt safe. Safe, yeah. Because um, I didn't believe anyone. I didn't trust anyone. I thought they were all trying to trick me and all sorts of crazy yeah. things. But yeah. yeah, when my sister spoke to me in Welsh, you know, we were having interviews. People were saying about food and were like, you have to eat this thing, and it would be like a fucking Thai noodle, whatever, dim, whatever. And uh, and my sister would just kick off and be like, "If he's got to pass the test of eating a meal, like let me bring a meal in." Mm. And you know, and I remember these kind of mm. uh, conversations, disagreements happening. But yeah. I also I wasn't with it, but I can kind of it was happening there. And then yeah. Leanne would say, uh, my sister would say, like, "Oh." You know, um, she would chat to me, she would chat shit to me in Welsh about different things. But mm. actually, the reality is she was, you know, bringing in a McDonald's and she was like, you have to eat this. And, she, you know, kind of really kind of nurturing me in a way to really mm. kind of just get me out, basically. Um, mm. Yeah. Wow. And, and then, I, yeah, for six months or so, I had a complete, well, I was having yeah. a breakdown. So yeah. when we had to go to airports and coming out, coming back home, because that mm. was the other thing, then they, you know, they were trying to keep me sort of some sort of sedation whilst going through the airport. But of course, I, I wasn't functioning. <laughs> and, and, that, and that wasn't going well when you're trying to fucking check in either. So luckily, my sister really took charge and um, just got me home. Um, but there they was trying times. I wanted mm. to open door on the aeroplane we got into a fist fight and she, she basically knocked me out <laughs> yeah. and just put me back to sleep my dad had me in a headlock for about four hours on the plane just to wow. kind of get me home yeah and did you did you end up we so did they drop chart did they charge you and then drop charges did they understand what was section. so yeah so basically um that was the whole test of getting out of the hospital because mm. um, I don't really, I know the police, the police cell um, when I was arrested. So they put me in the back of a uh, police tuk tuk, took me off mm. to the cell. Then I had to do tests, um, which is just an interrogation, basically, mm. um, you know, down, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. And then I basically went like an animal. Like I, you know, lost the plot. Mm -hmm. And you know, they knew there was drugs in my system, they knew I was psychotic. So they yeah, then they they transferred me from there to a to a mental hospital, which was basically another prison cell. Um, but it was mm -hmm. communal, there was other people. Um yeah, and then the process of getting like we had my sister was amazing. She got people from the embassy involved, she got yeah. I remember one woman coming up who did speak English 
um, who's an Australian woman, having interviews and, you know, kind of really working hard to get me out of there. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. It's scary, isn't it? It's, it's funny in a... We live in such a global world where, you know, we can go on Instagram and watch yeah. people all over the world doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And we kind of, I feel like we forget that there are different worlds and cultures and countries yeah. and laws and languages that actually we're so connected. But on another hand, we really aren't. You know, it's yeah. like, it's just, it's it's a scary sort of, you know, when you've been on the other side of it, like you have, it's like fucking hell. Yeah, you don't realize the the danger, I guess, in some ways that we're in. In some ways, it's like fine, and you know, most people are really kind. And but you know, even for the even for the police over there, what they have to deal with, they don't know whether you've been drugged or whether you are actually a lunatic, or or, like they're dealing with it kind of in the same way. They're like, what the fuck, you know, is going on? And it's just absolutely. And I, I think, you know, I've been to Thailand quite a few times. You know, I've been over there with my parents when I travelled, on the way to Australia, different, you know, been to all the islands and the culture. I, you know, Thai people are amazing, you know, like the food yeah. is amazing, the culture, you know, the, the landscape, it's, you know, absolutely wonderful. So mm. to have that experience as my last experience of of Thailand is, you know, I have no intention of going back there because I... I, I uh, am I scared? Maybe I'm. I'm just aware of what could happen, as in opening up those things on that. Yeah, yeah. Topic. I've been submerged in it, but I have no real intention of going back. Um, yeah. But having, I'm really grateful for the experiences that I've had previously to that time in 2010. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Have you travelled since then? So when was that? When did all this happen? Uh, 2010. That was. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, met my husband in 2013, so a couple of years later, and I went back. That was the other thing. I couldn't go back to PT after this happened. I couldn't go back to one-on-one work or to helping anyone um, because of where I was. And so I just reverted back to production management. So I went and became head of production for the National Theatre of Wales in the Welsh language, so for Theatre Genedlaethol. And that was... Yeah, that was me kind of coming back, really. Um, I went on tour a couple of times with English Touring Opera, English National Opera, um, just production management, sort of back into that 18-hour days, full on, put my heart and soul into a production, less yeah. of real life. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then... I went back to America to summer camp. So I worked on summer camp when I was younger, which that kind of fueled a lot of my um, ambitions to travel, just meeting people all over the world and working mm. with these kids in America. So so I went back there and I did a summer. And then, yeah, then I got a job working sort of more in the commercial sector, really doing big sort of PR events and um, managing big projects. Mm. And, did, and, and did, did you? Did you Iron Man, and I was like, "Fuck this! I need to sort my life out and sort my physical, <laughs> my mental health out." Yeah. Yeah. So what had you? So so then so you've done all that. You've kind of it's it's so it's so circular, isn't it? So then you're doing yeah. that, and you're like, right, back into that, focus on that. Don't have to deal with it. Which actually, I, I as well, you know, you kind of 
said this about your weight. I think there's a lot of power in that. I think sometimes we need to do that yeah. to switch from what's happened to have a break to then go, okay, let's deal with this now. So what had you then go, right, I'm going to, you know, deal with stuff and now you're PTing again. So what was the thing? That I, think had was, you- I think I'd experienced burnout. So I, I, uh, in 2013, I had a, a relapse um, just in terms of my own mental health. Like I went through a nervous breakdown and then in 2013, I, I was overworked. Like I, I pushed in my own doing um, yeah, with, yeah. with yeah. a theatre job. I really pushed myself and I was all over the place. I was on tour. I was managing several productions. I was moving house. I was like, there was so much going on and I, I had a bit of a relapse then. I just had to take a couple of months out. Um, and I guess I saw that come in when I was in my last job with Wild Creations. I could see that was coming back because yeah. I'd be, you know, working three o'clock in the morning. I'd, you know, the alarms are going off. I'd go, you know, all of that kind of stuff, working overnights, um, building the company up, doing big, big jobs with a lot of responsibility. Um yeah. And kind of feeling that on my shoulders because I really helped to build the company up to what mm. it is now. Um, so yeah, you know, and and they were big projects all over the world. So some of them were in Dubai, some of them were in Los Angeles, some of them were in, you know, all over the place. Um, so yeah, and then I I think I got to I wanted to do the Iron Man. It's been on my bucket list forever, yeah. and I signed up to it in the January of 2017. And I remember saying to uh, my boss and, and my good friend, um, you know, I really want to make time for myself to train for this. Like, I just need, like, my weekends and, you know, occasionally, like, an evening, a couple of evenings off or whatever. <laughs> it was all very much like, yeah. And, and I could see, like, he wanted to make it happen. He wanted me to make it happen, which, you know, I was the one in control of the schedules and the, the different things. But, you know, the pressure of the work and wanting to strive for more and get another job. Yeah, like, yeah we're doing Jurassic World and we're doing Universal Projects and we're doing Sony and we're doing, you know, and, and we're just a little team in Cardiff and yet yeah, we're making all these massive things. And then I was just like, yes, yes, yes. I was the yes man. Um, And then I kind of got to the summer. I was like, fuck, I haven't really trained very much. And then I hooked up with my um, coach from the Aim to Try Club. And he was like, well, you've got two options, right? Either you throw the towel in or you get on the fucking bike, get in the water and start running. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I had a major panic attack in the sea. Wow. uh, Having a panic attack on ground is one thing. It's it's hard enough. But in the sea? In the sea, it's like. Coney Beach in Porthcawl and you're yeah. swimming from the pier back into yeah that wasn't fun um, Are you with anyone? What happened? Steve got me through it Steve and a really good friend Beth and Thomas she, they just basically you know did the whole finding me you know just keep swimming just keep swimming like talk me through it um, and you know there was a huge part of my everything I'd been through with panic attacks after everything you know, I could really sort of rationally, I knew rationally, like, I wasn't going to drown, a shark wasn't going to eat me, like, I was going to be okay. So the, I had that rational part of my brain, but the, it, you know, the amygdala and the, like, my brain was yeah. fucking on fire, like, yeah. get me the fuck out of here, you know, yeah. like, I, I'm trapped, you know, and that's, that's my biggest fear. So, 
yeah, so I did. So I did a bit of training with Steve, and uh, yeah, managed to get over the line on the Ironman. Um, mm. Really, that it was a couple of weeks before, and I booked the time off, and it it just all got a bit messy. And then I was like, "Fuck!" Like nobody's in my corner here. Like I'm doing these massive jobs for people, for my colleagues, for my boss, for the clients, like in London. And I was like, I think we were doing the Grand Tour heads at the time for Amazon. Um, I can't even remember the other projects. And I was just like, nobody gives a fuck about me. Like, and I, and I, I think at that point I was like, that's okay. Like, I need to give a fuck about me. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. The boundaries. I set the limitations. I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, so I went to Tenby, and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I don't know what what's around the corner. I've been with Simon for what four years five years at that point and um yeah so i was like i need to change this up so i was on the i was actually on the course and i was like yeah i'm i'm not going to work on monday uh, wow. or i'm going to work but i'm going to give my notice and i just yeah. notice um i also proposed to simon at the end of the iron man um which i decided in the water it's amazing um, isn't it physicality and physical oh, challenge yeah. how it like like that, you know, you said it that, like mind body connection of yeah. actually be doing something physical, it almost straightens yeah. us out in our heads. It, it, it gets oh, really it, like it's important, so huge in mind. I mean, you know, I, I was in the swim, and I it's two laps sometimes, so you got to swim for four miles or three, four K or whatever. So you had to do two laps. So I did the first lap having just sung the national anthem and really kind of like feeling like, oh my God, can I actually do this? <laughs> um, you know, and I was what, 18 stone 11 again, doing it. So, it, you know, I was kind of up there on the weight scale. Mm. So, yeah, so I, I, I did the first lap of the swim and I remember thinking, right, just keep swimming. You know, I was humming to myself. I was like, whatever it takes to get through it. And I remember coming out the water the first time, and I, I think I write this in the book, I can't really remember, but I came out the water the first time and I like I'm swimming and then I hit sand with my hands. And then I look up and literally the, uh, there's fucking thousands of Tempe spectating for Ironman. The first person I see was Simon and he's literally on the edge of the water to make sure I'm okay. Yeah. Um, and of course the bottom lip's going and he's just like running out, like running, going, just fucking get back in, get back in. So in the water then I was like, yeah, there's no, there's no better human in the world than him for me. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I just was like, right, I'm going to ask him to marry me. And mm. then I, I got my dad on the bike. I was um, cycling. It's like a hundred, why can't I remember the distance? It's 180K on the bike, 112 miles. So wow. I Halfway on the cycle, I called my dad over and he's not supposed, nobody's supposed to help you on the cycle. And uh, he came over and he's like, I'm not coming any closer. I was like, dad, come here. And he's like, you'll get disqualified, you get disqualified. So I told him, I was like, I'm going to propose to Simon. I need you to go and buy me a ring. She was like, hang on, you want a man's ring on a Sunday in Tempe? Now, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah and I need it hopefully by midnight. Because if I don't get there by midnight, I can't fucking cross the line. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's the cutoff, and I made it twenty minutes before. So. Wow! Yeah. And did your dad find a ring in Tembe on he a Saturday? Yeah, the good old dad and sisters. Yeah, pulled it out the bag. Yeah, what a legend! Yeah, what so legend. It was, yeah, it was amazing. 
brilliant time. Mm. But yeah, so it, that- it took that it took that physicality, that kind of really kind of getting back to who I am at my core um, to mm. really sort of recognize right prioritize number one which is what I tell all my clients you know the one represents you the two is the journey and the one is where you want to be and that cycle can just keep going yeah yeah amazing and so then you finish that you've handed in your notice you're done with the whole that I'm going to say the the world of production and tv theater and just that crazy lifestyle that people think sounds glamorous but sounds like chefing to me which is basically hell on earth 18 hours a day and it's really fucking hard oh, yeah. but, you know there's and there's a whole we wouldn't change it for the world but there's like it's just yeah. I was I'll always to- remember hanging off the you know remember the ball in the wall for rugby world cup hanging off the castle like <laughs> making sure and it was like 15 minutes before the cameras were turning up with the bbc or whatever and i was like thinking this fucking ball isn't attached to this castle. And I've got 15 minutes to get this bolt in. And yeah, just pressure. Yeah, yeah. So you're leaving all that behind you. And then what, did you take time out after the three months had finished? Or did you in that time kind of know what you wanted to do? Yeah, because I'd set up one-to-one KG in London um, back in 2007. So I had like, I knew it was going to be one-to-one. I don't know what to do. Yeah, it, it just meant so much to me. Those that that one-to-one effect, you know, that ripple effect of yeah. people inspiring people. It doesn't have to be me, you know. It can be a client inspiring somebody else, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I kind of knew what I wanted to do, and apart from just feeling like a fraud because I was fat and I was a PT, I was like, um, yeah, I just went straight in, mm-hmm. and then six months later, then I started training at Newport University. So I did a postgrad certificate and a postgrad um, diploma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was in therapy and counselling, or in more PT stuff? No, in counselling, integrative yeah. counselling. So I topped up. I did a couple of um, CPD things to top up my PT work, um, yeah. especially like the rehabilitation stuff. So just making sure that I was fresh on all of that. Um, but yeah, that that's. I went straight into it. Mm. And the success of clients, it really speaks for themselves, you know. And I always say, like, I can do all what I do. And, like, you will appreciate this, you know. The client's got to do the work, you know. do the work. We can't do it. We can show up. We can create the space. But we don't do it. We don't do their successes or their failures. We're there all along the way. But, yes. And that's why when they achieve it, like, it's all there. It's it's like, you own this shit, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, I want you part of the community. I want you part of the one-to-one family. Of course I do. And you'll always be a part of it. Even people who have come and gone and, you know, whatever. Like, that moment in time. You know, if they were with me in 2018 and they experienced some form of change or some form of joy or something that they can positively look back on, then they're part of this journey for me. But really, that's one part of their life as they go forward. Yeah. 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 But I love love my clients. Yeah, it's a magic. There's something, it's it's such a balance between there's so much magic in helping others and it's so it's so 
invigorating and it can be the opposite, can't it? I mean, if we give too much of ourselves and all we do is for other people, it's like it's the most destructive thing on earth. But finding that like once we've found ourselves and we know who we are and then we can help others, you know, from a boundary place, not from a like, oh, I'm just going to help other people and that'll make me okay. That once once we do that, there's something magic about it's so, what is the word I'm looking for? It's not energizing, nourishing to like give that back, which then we get fed and then we're filled up so then we can help more and that whole world of community and supporting each other. It's just it's magical and it's it's and it is it's such a fine line because like you know I've got clients who I I will say stop fucking helping everyone and help yourself for once but once people have helped themselves it's like okay come on now like now help other people because otherwise it's like you know stuff there's something about helping other people that makes the problems that I deal with smaller it's like it just gets taken care of yeah it's having that bigger game on and that bigger sort of pool of people yeah, and I, think, I think you can get, I do think you can get kind of um, lost in that sort of martyrdom as well. Like, yes. yeah, yeah. Anyone, you know, like, oh, I'm going to save you. Like, no, yeah. you're not. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you're really not, you know. And, yeah. and, but, you know, you can certainly support someone. And once you know what's yours and what's yeah. theirs, yeah. that's when the relationship grows and flourishes. And, you know, mm. yeah, it really sort of, feeds itself for for the good you know as long as you know right okay where am I at in this right now like so if I'm in a PT session and yeah. you know something you know they're working on something like like I used to do a lot when I first started I used to do a lot of exercises with my clients you know yeah. I'd be like right I'm gonna do this and boom 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 and then I was like actually that's that's not right like I'm here for them do you know what I mean like and for some clients, they wanted me to do it. Like they would, you know, they were like, "Oh, I'll beat the yeah. trainer and push them on." And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so then it was a fine balance. And then somebody else sort of said to me on one session, "Like, well, you've had a good workout." And I thought I went away and I really thought about it and I unpicked it and I thought, "Yeah, she's she's right, actually. Like, that's not right, you know. Like, I'm here for them." So really, now my hour that I work with a client is it's it's all in, you know, and it can be fucking exhausting but actually like I know at the bottom of my heart they're getting every part of me that they deserve for that hour and then when I come away from it you know 11 12 o'clock I get my juices I get my my you know I nourish myself I feed myself I kind of I go away look at you know take my dog for a walk like I, I replenish I top up that kind of that cup for myself and sometimes mm. I get you know definitely sometimes I'll experience a bit of burnout and think mm. right okay, you know what's when going I, on yeah, yeah when am I taking time for myself but I've got to own that you know that's not my clients doing that that's me yeah you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah and that's compassion compassion fatigue as well is a big thing you know like if I start to not really care about my client or in that moment then I start to question myself, right, okay, like, step away. What do you need to do? Because that's not you. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm saying to myself, right, that's not you, like, not to care, you know? And then I'll yeah. probably practice some other self-care things that I've put together for myself. Mm-hmm. It's a huge thing to manage, I think. Any as uh, There's a... There's a community. I think they're based in London. They're called Bigger, Bigger, Bolder, Braver, and they 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 they're the people helpers that help the people helpers. So they're they're coaching and 
and they're like marketing for coaches, but they're really thing on, you know, where the pe like people helpers need to help themselves as well. And they talk a lot about this, you know, and that, that balance of, I like what you said, that compassion fatigue. I've never heard it said like that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get, you know, like when yeah. the fair exchange, I call it fair exchange in value. And when that's off becoming yeah. like resentful and like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then retweaking, it's taken a lot over the years for me to do that, to like go, Oh, hang on, you know, I'm getting bored of this or I'm getting pissed off at this client, but it's not the client. What's yeah. what's going on? And it takes a lot actually to manage that. But it's I love the way you say that about, you know, compassion fatigue. And it's it's you know, we see it in the care system, actually, when carers care too much about everyone else and not themselves. And then it gets toxic. And, the, yeah. you know, the abuse levels in care homes, it's because of ultimately compassion fatigue. Right. It's like they're done. They're spent. Yeah. No, you know, they're not looking after themselves and it, it becomes toxic and it's a massive conversation I think that that needs to be had more as well but not just in our profession but in you know in any world of work where we're doing too much of one thing and yeah and starting yeah, if that just made me think of um yeah I think you're right with care homes and that kind of stuff I, I definitely mm -hmm. think you know and, and who's to blame there and all that kind of stuff or, you know, but really ultimately I think there's a responsibility on us as human beings. Like they might not have the tools or the courage to change jobs or to take time out or the resources to be able to take a step back and all of that stuff. But it, it, it makes me think back to my other work. And when I was writing the book, I really grappled with what to call it. And I, and I was going to call it post traumatic success disorder yeah of the actual you know because I was really like I was really trying to weigh up like what is successful for me like is it successful to have more money do I want to do you know a world tour do I well, like, what is success and then I was like mm. I kind of mm. came to the conclusion that yeah like and the disordered part of that it's, it's almost like I was getting to that point of like the disordered eating it's like, I love actually, that. That term disordered eating is just so brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. And it it's kind of more commonly used, I think. It because... takes the wrong out of it. It's like, it's just disordered eating. And then you go, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Whereas the minute it's eating disorder, it's got all of the yeah. shit show of everything Ooh. with it. And yeah. And mm. also, you know, the stigma that comes with it. Like, yeah. you, you can say, like, you know, I could disclose I have an eating disorder. And somebody will be listening and then there will be a judgment. Do you know what I mean? And you, I think, well, that's really empowering. This person's, you know, I mean, that's not the truth. But, you know, the truth is I have disordered eating, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And I can own that. And, you know. And it's so relatable because everyone's got a version of disordered eating. We've all got. Whatever, whatever that is, it's yours. Like, you know, you, it, it can mean anything you want it to mean. You know, if it if it's your relationship with chocolate, if it's your relationship with potatoes, whatever, you know, if it's disordered, if it's not, if it doesn't yeah. feel nourishing and good for you and it's it's out of out of place for you, then that's what it is. That's how I coin, you know, that's how I call it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. So yeah. after everything you've been through and all the realizations of what really matters and like you said you know you earn less money now than you did you're happier now than you ever have and I can't underline and caps lock that enough for people listening because I I bang that drum and people are just like yeah yeah whatever and it's like when people share a story like yours and they're like oh 
yeah it's like get it on another level yeah what's what's next for you where are you going I know you're saying you're like going to work with Marie Curie and obviously you've got your PT you've written a book that in fact before I ask you where you're going how was it writing a book did you enjoy it did you hate it was it hard because I'm a total reluctant writer and Sarah who got you to come yeah. here. She dragged my ass to my desk on a weekly basis to do mine. I, I use it for my course, right? So it's available yeah. to buy, but it's I use it mainly for my course. Oh my God. I was like, I fucking hate this. Sarah used to have to bring chocolate. You know, yeah. it took everything for me. I had to have Sarah sat with me to make sure I did it. Otherwise I wouldn't have written it. So I'm yeah. always intrigued when people say they've written a book, how it was uh, for them. I, so. I, probably, I think I probably went through it all. I think I went through what you've just said, um, mm. but also I went through the the real how it served me at three o'clock in the morning, like three o'clock in the morning. I cannot sleep for love nor money. I literally, I am staring at the ceiling, and I'm like these thoughts, these feelings, all of this is just going around and around and around. And then I'm like, and I'm a big fan of journaling to process stuff. So I was like, so I was just journaling and journaling and journaling. And then, and often with my journaling, I rip it up or I burn it. Because for me, that's, there's something really nice about letting go. And I've done that with clients on the seafront as well. You know, when they've really struggled with something, I'm like, we're going to take 10 minutes of this session and we're just going to sit, here's a pad, here's a paper. I'll give them a couple of exercises just to get them to write. Then they'll get it all out. And then they just go and put it in the sea or rip it up and burn yeah, the bin. Yeah, yeah. You know, because, you know, I burn. actually get some light it and burn it because I, I really like that. It's really kind of like... Very puts powerful. Put it out there, get it out of my head, and then, you know, I can kind of process it differently now. So, yeah, so there was a lot of processing in writing the book. There was a lot of fear, um, mm. a lot of fear around publishing it. Shall I, mm. shan't I? Yeah, and very different for you. I mean, mine was, it, you know, it, there's a lot of exercises and it's to do with yeah. the course, whereas yours is like your story and everything. Yeah, it's very, it's very, and it's very much like, um, you know, I describe it as sort of a, you know, it is a self-help book, but it is an autobiography. Yeah. It, you know, it's a couple of different things. So for me, I, I grappled with publishing it or not. And, you know, a lot of my stories are my stories, but they're very much part of my wider family they're part of my wider friends yeah and and how that can have an impact on them and I really struggled with that and then mm. I kind of got to the point and I was like I think I really have to do this for myself um and I can only own what I feel and I can't mm. own their reactions to things mm. um as hard as that was to really really put myself first mm. that, that I I knew I had to do it. It was how I was going to do it. Um, And again, I launched it on September the 11th because it was 20 years since, well, that was my first environmental kind of, my first trauma was being in 9-11 when the World Trade Centers got hit. So that... Are just dropping that in now? (laughs) I just just looked at the the book here because I was like, oh, if I forget anything, I'll just say read the book. And then I was just looking at it thinking, yeah. And then I launched it on September the 11th, yeah, which was a couple of days before. You mentioned September the 11th, the other, and I was thinking, I wonder if there's a connection there. And we were talking about other stuff, and then I forgot. So so you were in the towers. 
year to September the 11th for me. And I, and again, I don't know if it's that manifestation thing that I do subconsciously or if it's a visceral thing. But this, you know, the first sort of, well, 16 days of February is really fucking tough. Oh, yeah. um, oh, shit. <laughs> the, week of my, the week of my birthday is really fucking tough. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that anniversary, that cyclical kind of... Mm-hmm thing that we go through to remember things to celebrate things to yeah so yeah so i i was running from well it was a bomb threat then from the bottom of the empire state building i was on an amtrak train going into manhattan and then i was evacuated out of penn station wowzers and i was i was big boy like and i had a big backpack on my back and and i got (laughs) told by I stopped this police guy who was running. People were fucking running everywhere. It was carnage. I mean, absolute carnage. And, you know, seeing all the stuff on the telly now, you know, lots of things kind of, you know, takes you back to some of that that feeling of it, you know, Mm. and the smells and the sounds. And, you know, for a long time, I I panicked every time I heard a siren. um, Mm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, where was I going with that? Yeah, I was was running and... uh, and I got told by this policeman to run, basically just run. And I was like, what the fuck? I can't, I, I can't run, but what's happening? Like, and all I got told was America's at war. Um, and yeah, you could see downtown. So it was, yeah, it was messy. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, just the whole life is so freaking messy. We live in this, you know, like we're both sat in our houses now and we're online, it's all clean and we're not really dealing with anything. And it's like that, that sort of different, like when something goes wrong, when there's a disaster or, you know, what happened to you in Thailand, it's like, it's almost because we live such clean, nice, lives yeah. and not a lot goes wrong it almost makes it when things go wrong it's it's almost worse because it's like what, what the actual f is going on like what is happening it's such yeah. a such a mind screw i think yeah i think uh 9-11 really shaped my 9-11 got me to the point where i was like i've got to live my life because you know that was really I want to travel, I want to do things. You know, if I'm going out with a bang or in any way that I thought I was that day, like, you know, fuck it, I need to just enjoy everything that I can. So, yeah, it it did shape a lot of it. And it it also reinforced some earlier beliefs I had that I was never going to live very long anyway. So that whole existential kind of like something was always going to happen in my world. To me, I I grew up with that feeling, and I talk about that as early life experience in the book about not feeling like I was ever gonna, you know, I was never gonna get to forty. I mean, fucking hell, forty, no way. And then, and then, you know, I launched, I, I, I you know, published the book and put it out to the the world like three days after I turned forty. To, and you know, I I think I mentioned it. One of my best friends takes the piss out of me because she's like, you did mention a couple of times in the book that you turned 40. And I'm like, <laughs> so it's probably repeated a few too many times. But because it's such a big fucking deal for me. Like I I went through my teens, my 20s, my 30s. I was like, fucking hell. One, one day, one of these fucking things is, is, is going to hit hard, you know, and it's not going to be any more, you know? Wow. 
yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, and like and now you're discovering you're like a cat with nine lives who just keeps getting out of dodge. Even <laughs> these enormous things. Yeah, and it's interesting talking to you today about it, Alex, because I, you know, sometimes I think, fucking hell, like it's a lot, you know, and I, people must listen and think, fucking hell, is there anything like you just said about the nine eleven thing? It's like. <laughs> yeah. And we all remember where we were that day, right? You know? so, <laughs> yeah. Oh but yeah. yeah. All, um, and yeah. Great, it gives us such great perspective, isn't it? It's like you yeah. said earlier on, you know, would you change it? Would you take it back? You know, I, I look back and do the sound like, yeah. I don't like the fact my brother's dead, but would I change it? It'd be really weird too. Yeah. That whole, you know, once things are complete and once we've kind of accepted things and then realised how much of a part of us it's, you know, what it's created us to be, it's yeah. it's it's bittersweet, isn't it? Such a yeah. such a. And I think sweet, on the re the reflection side, it's 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 how do we how do we bring out the best of those things? Do you know mm. what I mean? Like mm. not to not to devalue like what's like I'm not. You know, like mm. when I think of 9 11, it's not like I'm kind of going, right, what was good? Like, yeah. fuck all good about any of it and what's going on in the world, nothing. But, you know, can I go back and and remember some of the, you know, the relationship, the fact that the night of 9 11, I'll never forget walking up Manhattan and the people on the brownstones that were just stood outside and with open arms. I mean, they lit candles. They had si like signs. It was. It was. It gives me goosebumps That's saying it. Cool. I was going to say I've got goosebumps as you're yeah. saying. Like and, it's, and it was. It was. It was magical. Yeah, and and you know I've been to Manhattan many many times, and it was still like I cannot even begin to tell you. Like if you have ever tried to just lie there and listen to silence, actually listen to the silence. That's what happened that night. And it was, um, and then there was every now and again, you'd see a truck or you'd see something coming uptown. Uh, I was staying on 50th at that point, And you'd see like a random piece of fucking debris out of a truck or a car. And it was, it was like, what the hell? Like, and that's all you'd see. And like all the sirens were done then. Um, and it was just helicopters that night of 9-11 was just had. So it was like, it was like being in a film, but like just being so still, like, mm. yeah. And and you wanted you wanted to be inside because you thought that was safe, but you also wanted to be outside because you're like, if I got to run again, I yeah. need to not be on the third fucking floor of this brownstone. I need to be outside. And at that point, I'd already ditched my backpack. So I just had my passport, my wallet and a notebook. And back then, it was all calling cards. So if I had the iPhone, I could have probably just fucking text the family and tell them where I was. But back then, it was like 50 million fucking buttons you had to press, and they didn't know where I was. And, yeah, another, another thing that I dealt for my family to cope with. Mm. Yeah. Well, and in the whole world of... Um... Dr. John Demartini, he does the breakthrough experience and he's a pretty prolific writer and, and coach. And, you know, he talks, and I, I love it, he talks about that everything's balanced. So however horrific something is, there's equal, 
you know, amazingness, for want of a better word, that comes out of it. And I, that's always stayed with me. So that when I'm going through shit that's horrible, it's like actually look for the equal good, like look for the, you know, look for the silver yeah. lining. It's so cliche, but it's like actually, yeah. it's that weird payoff that when you go through something that's absolutely horrific and abhorrent, there's equal love and amazement and connections and people on the other side of it. So it's, yeah. it's it's almost impossible to go, well, that was bad and wrong and I only want this because you have to get, you, you get the two, right? You get both together. And, and it's all about balance. And it, it, yeah. the time passes, like the time will pass, you know, like whatever moment in time, whether you're in joy or, you know, adversity, like it's, yeah. it's, it's gonna, it's for that moment in that time. And then something else is coming or something will happen whether you're in it or not or what or whatever but that's the one guarantee like there's always a sunrise there's always a sunset like we're always moving through that and you know like you said there's a lot of joy like when you talked about your brother then you know it's kind of you know there's an amazing bank of memories i'm sure you know i don't say they're all amazing but from what i get from you he was dying though even at the hospital he he was in an accident but didn't die for 48 hours just that time was phenomenal like seeing humanity like human beings when the chips are down yeah human beings are fucking amazing you know like just being together and supporting each other and seeing like what not just people we knew but what the people that work for the nhs did and what the police did the police blue lighted me and my mum down from my grandma's house to the hospital in bath because they knew it was bad and they got us down the police got my dad, my dad was living in Tanzania, got him off the aeroplane. Everyone on the aeroplane stayed, sat down to get my dad off the aeroplane. This this one, this bit gets me more than anything else in this story. To hey, get him to the hospital and followed by, you know, these are like London Met Police coppers yeah. following my dad into the hospital, carrying his suitcases so he can see his son. And it's like, these guys don't know my dad. You know, it's like humanity is just so in those moments of like it was fucking horrific. Like, you know, my brother's gonna die. It's like all of that. And at the same time, just watching, you know, nurses, police, people yeah. who don't know us, humans like take care of other humans. Yeah. He is just like you know, so it's like you can't you can't pull the two apart. And then getting letters afterwards. My brother was only 28 getting letters afterwards from the organ donation team because we he was basically really freaking fit and healthy. He had a brain injury, you know. Yeah. I think he had a couple of other, you know, bits and pieces of his brain injury that was the problem. So all of his organs were donated. So even after he died, people got their sight back from his corneas. Babies were saved because they had his heart valves. And you're just like, yeah. like it's a head, head screw as well. But it's yeah. it's really complicated, that isn't it? But like, how? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about your brother and what kind of person he was and how mm. he was about all of that stuff. And mm. you know, like, actually, yes, he'd never choose that path, of course. Yeah. yeah. However, that is the path, and and then he's he's had the ability even after that incident to yeah. continue to change mm. people's, and I don't mean change people's lives, giving them a job, or like give someone their fucking sight or give someone a heart. It's like, yeah. God, it just, it's, yeah, phenomenal. Like that we do that as humans. And 
And I dare say, like those, I'm sure those memories are imprinted of the, that time. Mm. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of work to go back to other times in that relationship with your brother. But, mm. you know, it's all those, it's what we said at right at the very start, it's those little things. It doesn't have to be the big moments of that passing, does it? Yeah. It can be those, it can be that Christmas morning when you woke up when you were young and all of those little things and you think, yeah. Do you know what? we had the fucking best time, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that's how he lives. Like I believe that's how we live on through, you know, through all of that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. People See, say to me often, "God, you're so much like your granddad," you know, <laughs> and then, like, and I think, "Oh, which one are they talking about?" <laughs> but I do believe that there's parts of both of them yeah. that passing that I've mm. embraced, and I, you know, I really feel privileged and proud that they were a huge part of my upbringing. Yeah. 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 And then it's like, then does anyone ever really die? You know, it's that whole thing, isn't it? Because actually they're still alive in you. And yeah, yeah it's magic. Yeah. And these are phenomenons we'll never know, mm. you know, not not in a lifetime anyway. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be a freak, I don't think. Mm-hmm. It's quite deep now, Alex. Shit. I know. And look, we've been going for two hours, 20 minutes. And you were like, what are we going to talk about for two hours? It's like, just wait and see. <laughs> so, so just to round off, if you do know where you're going, or maybe you don't, like what what do you see at, you know, you've got decades left on this planet and look what you've already yeah. done. And like where you, because that, that's what's always fascinates me is, and I talk about this in property to my groups, because the first couple of years is so boring and so hard and so slow. And then things ramp up, experience and you know, money creates more money and all of that. And I think it's the same in human beings' lives. You know, we kind of have this like building, building, building. It's like, yeah, we've still got decades left. So where does Ryan yeah. Evans go next? Do you have any idea? Are you yeah. in a place like a theory thing goes? And yeah, I think a couple of things have well been floating around. Obviously, I got married last September. That was quite a big life event. Um, mm. It wasn't September eleventh. It was September third. <laughs> but um, yeah, we we got married. So you know, there's talk of children. I was going to uh, say you guys planning children. Yeah, I'd really like to. Although it's complicated. It's like so complicated. But you know, maybe there's children in the future. Um, yeah. You know, Simon's ambitious, like really ambitious with his job and what he does. Mm. You know, his mm. goal is to get to Marine Parade to have a big, massive house. Um, mm. Which I don't doubt for one minute that we won't be getting something in the future. But at the same time, is that my goal? Not necessarily. Like, mm. um, so we're slightly different pages in terms of um, properties and like where we are. Mm. I imagine myself in five years' time. I do struggle with what house that you know. It's not this house, but it's not the house that he wants. But it's probably not the house I want. So who knows what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love the idea, something that came up over Christmas. I love the idea of having um, a small property in Spain um, mm. around that place where I did my training. I think that holds a place in my heart. And I would love that as a as a place that I could perhaps invite people over, work with clients in a way and say, right, you know what? We're going to take two weeks and we're going to do in two weeks mm. what, you know, what you don't think is achievable, but we're going to transform something yeah. in the course of, you know, and I think actually 
because of my experience of being out of my environment, out of my job, out, you know, when I lost that weight, I think there's something in that. Um, and I know lots of people do retreats and I've done them wellness days and different things, but I'm quite in my head. I would like something in the future that is where the weather's a bit more guaranteed and yeah. the landscape of the ocean and the mountains and all of that stuff to work with in order to help other people. Um, mm-hmm. I would love that. I mean, I can't, I can't afford that, but you know, maybe that's a, something to aspire to, uh, but definitely continuing to work with people's physical and mental health. Um, I think that I hope that will stay with me as a, um, a passion of mine for forever, really. Mm, mm. Exciting. And there's always, you know, you don't have to own the property. There's always what you have access to as well. Yeah. Right? Access, yeah. And I think, I think like my dad turns 70 next month and, you know, there was a, I was like, what can I get him? What can I get him? And, He's just retired a year ago, two years ago, no, a year ago, year last mm-hmm. September, and he's taken up triathlons, and, you know, and he's, like, fitter now than he's ever been, and, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I just might go off for a few days to Lanzarote and cycle the roads with him or do something like that and yeah. chat to him about it because he's a, he's a great sounding board for me of, like, future direction and how I sort of shape what I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe something like that. I feel fully uplifted. What a fantastic... That's good. I thought you were going to say exhausted then. I was like... No, uplifted. I I just... I I started this podcast. So I listen to Joe Rogan a lot. I think his conversations are amazing. And I started this podcast inspired by him because I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by people. I'm really curious. I love talking to people. And I spend vast amount of my time either being a coach or being a parent and this is the one time of the week where I get to sit down with another adult and just yeah. talk like uninterrupted the, the beautiful thing about podcasts is like uninterrupted you know we've both turned our phones off we're like all in and every single time I do I come up and I'm just like oh it's so inspiring and uplifting and there's always bits that I you know take from things I'm like wow yeah and perspective giving and all of that. And just thank you for sharing your journey. And thank you for sharing your story. And, you know, speaking about it like this, one other question, one like little last question, have you recorded an audio book yet? Because I listen to audio books. I would love to hear your book in your voice. That's like a big one. I haven't done it, but I, yeah, no, I haven't done that, but I could do that. I I totally, I, I invite, I don't know if anyone else wants it. I bet they would though. I bet if I want it, like there'll be others. Cause like hearing you speak your story, you know, and I, and I, and one of the reasons I listen to podcasts and I listen to a lot of audio books is because I can do, you know, I walk my dog or I'm cooking, you know, doing things where like it's possible to listen and do the other thing. Cause yeah. I don't need to think about cooking cause I've done it for so bloody long and same with walking the dog. Um, I would love to listen to your story. So yeah. I'm going to get your book anyway, and if you if you do the audio book, please send me a message. Well, I'm sure you'll let everyone know anyway on social media and yeah, stuff. No, I think actually, like that's definitely something that I could do, and mm. I think there, I think you're right. Actually, there's something rich about voice. I listen to a lot of books as well, and there's yeah. something rich about um, an audio an audio book. I, I don't know if you've uh, listened to um, the David Goggins one. 
um, and he gets interviewed as the book is being I read. I haven't listened to his book, but I've just listened to him on Joe Rogan's podcast for three hours, oh, and he was yeah. brilliant. It's a yeah. very good interview. So, yeah, he's on my list of now yeah. listen to his book. So, yeah, he's I just I've just thought about his audio, but that was the last one I listened to. So, but, yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely consider that. And, um, yeah, why not, right? I mean, it's just yeah. my time, you know, yeah. and it's, yeah. And it's and it's that whole thing. It's like being able to being able to speak to you and have a conversation with you. It's like another layer deeper of like reading someone's book. It's like hearing your voice and your experience and all of the that. Yeah, was just you know, which has been really magical. So thank you for your time and your attention and your sharing and you know just just what you do for human beings i just well, thank you i mean thank you for having me on i, I really kind of came there thinking i don't know how this is gonna go or what's happening but yeah, <laughs> i really i really appreciate the time like and your time and and people's time for listening as listening, well so, 100%. you know for those people who are out there listening um you know yeah thank you because yeah. Yeah, I mean, to share this space with you, Alex, is brilliant. But the yeah. fact that it happens as it happens is, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And I really appreciate that. And if people are listening and go, I want a piece of Ryan, because that does happen. Can they can they stalk you on social media? Have you got space? Because yeah. that's the other thing about once, you know, you've written a book and you're really busy and you're doing all your stuff. Like, yeah. Do you still have space for clients? Can they reach out to you? Yeah, so there's uh, PT is chock a block at the moment, so there's a waiting list for that. But having said that, you know, I like to kind of just catch up with people if they are interested, or get a coffee with them in the afternoons. It's usually um, if I put them on the waiting list, then it's kind of just giving them things to contemplate and to think about before the journey gets started, or and or even if it's not with me, that I can suggest somebody else. So, yeah, if you are in that stage of thinking about something or uh, getting a trainer, um, I'm always up for a coffee. Um, That's really generous. And, and, yeah, and as long as it's in the afternoon. I try not to work evenings at all now. That's part of my own sort of balance in my work life. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if it's an afternoon, um, or come and join. I do a couple of free sessions, like, every Saturday morning. Um, anyone is welcome to this, which is coming down for a walk. Uh, a jog, a run, a crawl, whatever you want to do. We meet on the barrage at quarter past eight every Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. um, if you can't get to PT, but you want to join the fitness classes, I do a Monday and a Thursday 6.15 a.m. session down the seafront. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of the therapy stuff, I'm probably looking to um, broaden the scope of walk and talk therapy in the summer. So if you're interested in that, um from a sort of a counseling perspective then yeah you can definitely get in touch i've got instagram and facebook i'm not on i think i'm on linkedin but i don't really use it i'm the um, same yeah. <laughs> sorry I, people I, on linkedin we're straight we're streaming live there now and i haven't logged in for months sarah sets it all up and then i'm just like oh, yeah so it's, yeah, it's it's basically instagram uh, or go on the website the websites there's so many success stories which i'm super 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 proud of yeah. Um, um yeah so and my phone number's on there so you know brilliant super approachable yeah amazing 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 and you're in panath south wales because there will be people listening to this who aren't in south wales uk just to be really rigorous with it because when stuff goes on spotify it's like who knows where people are listening to things um yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Ryan, for your time. And Brilliant. thank you, everybody. We will wrap up at two yeah. and a half hours. Look at that. Thank you very much. Thanks thank to you. you. Very much. Thank you, Alex. Thank you.